Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and our friends at Chevrolet are proud to present Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America. And we're inviting you to help. Join me, Carlos Watson, as I talk with key leaders from across the country about racial disparities in America's healthcare system. Look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk, Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or download The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And how are we, lads? We're a bit late this week, only by a day, though. Give us plenty to uh, to catch up on, though. I think we needed it after last week. Yeah, it feels it's been like heavy-duty times at the moment, isn't mm. it? And I think you take all the kind of like reflective space that you can, and uh, this week's big uh, sociological uh, a big uh, societal theme of offensive statues has come in and that seems almost positively light-hearted by comparison <laughs> with some of the world's recent events and that's not to make light of them whatsoever but uh, no yeah still crazy times mm. still all match isn't it it's certainly ended that sense of togetherness that people claim that we sort of had uh, during the coronavirus isn't it if anyone's put a, put a stop to it it's this and you know uh, the the uh, right-wing press and the uh, Facebook mobs of people in their 40s talking about yep. violent protesters and what terrible people they are for, you know, uh, not liking racist statues that kind of eulogize the memory of racists and slave traders. But hey, you know, let's put identity ahead of uh, facts, feelings and empathy because it makes you feel better when you're in your tribe, doesn't it? So well done to them. <laughs> I got called a, a phlegm gargling virgin on Facebook this week, Joe, for uh, for oh, having a go with the, uh, a phlegm gargling virgin uh, That's on my impressive. on my lefty Twitter account, uh, according to some uh, some Facebook dad. Uh, I, I, I made the mistake of wading into the comments on like so, uh, one of those, like police hour or someone like that. One of that one of the what you know, when the uh, the poor policewoman uh, rode herself into a into a lamppost and, and went flying off, yep. and the protesters dared to laugh at it because, to be fair, it was quite funny. Uh, hope she's okay. Hope the horse is okay. Horrible that the the horse got a got a, a bike wheeled at it in the aftermath. Uh, but it, it just it, like the amount of like Facebook mums like who were just who were so concerned about the statue, so concerned about the horse, and it's like even like relatives of mine like I I've got. I've got people on my Facebook now where I'm just like, I'm going to have to mute you all because it's like, it's been wall to wall. Oh, that poor horse. or Oh, that poor statue. And it's like, I didn't really see you say anything the last week about like, you know, some of the much worse videos uh, that we've all seen over the, the week or so. A lot, a lot of concern for statues and horses this week. Apparently that's the, uh, that's the important subject we all need to concern ourselves with. But yeah, I, I made but to be honest, I learned my lesson. Wading into Facebook comments is a, is a real mistake. It is. It, it Facebook is is the home of the Karen. Like I, I said on Twitter, like for for me, when the when the Tories won and when Brexit went through, I spent a lot of time blaming Gam and Dads, and we talked about that on this podcast. The Facebook mums, man. There's, there's so many of them. I feel like the, the legion of Karens on Facebook might actually be the uh, the real cause of uh, of some of those unfortunate results over the last couple of years. 
I had an interesting chat with uh, JP's girlfriend about this this evening, didn't I, JP? Oh, you seen wow. those yeah. messages? Yeah. Oh, I, have. So, uh, I think she waded into a Facebook argument, and we were sort of just discussing about how you deal with this stuff. And mm. it's a tough one because uh, people are going to put that identity and that tribe ahead of the facts. Facts mm. don't matter for much anymore if you've chosen your tribe and you're going to stay loyal to that tribe. And you know what? I'd rather be a phlegm-gargling virgin than a racist. <laughs> so um, if I could be the phlegm-gargling virgin tribe, um, I'd rather be in that than the racist tribe, put it that way. Oh, but this um, bloke that I met when I was, you know, I, went, I was talking about my holiday to Turkey a couple of years ago, and I got caught, we, we, we ch- spent a lot of time chatting to, like, this uh, this couple from, from, I think they're from, like, where's West Ham? West Ham's East London, isn't it? I don't know like, West Ham fans. Oh, yeah. And like, seemed like a lovely fellow when we were on holiday. Like, you know, really nice fellow. We got along, added each, added each other on Facebook. Don't add the friends that you meet on holiday to your Facebook, because my God, is he like the king of the. But what about Lee Rigby? What about the Muslim grooming gangs? Everything goes back to that. Like, we, we should be hanging these protesters over, over the London Bridge. Things like, genuinely been posting things like that. Not Nothing to do with, like, sympathising with, you know, the, the cause of the protests or having any human en- empathy. It's just all mm. pure, like, right-wing, just, like, Corbyn-hating, Boris-praising horribleness. Like, I, had to, I ended up having to delete him. And it made me really sad because it was like, oh, I've got really good memories of the holiday. And then being a, a, re- a thoroughly nice bloke that I thought, oh, we could be friends for life here on Facebook. And yeah, unfortunately, I've uh, I've seen his true colours these last couple of weeks and, uh, and I had to see myself out of that. Uh, which is funny as well, because when we were on holiday in Turkey, like, there was a point where me and him were like, as a joke, there was like, there was, there was only about like, it was like end of season and the hotel was really quiet and there was like a disco going on. And, like, they had, like, a dance contest. And as, like, a joke, me and him did a dance together. And, like, somebody, like, from the, the local neighbourhood, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, like, over overlooking the hotel complex, actually rang the police. And the police came to investigate because two men were dancing together in this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> like, and we, were, we were the ones who were being, you know, cast aside. And we were the ones who were being uh, discriminated uh, against in that scenario. And I remember thinking, oh, what a horrible world that, that, that somebody would do that. Uh, just for a, a stupid joke on a, on a dance floor. It could have ended really badly, that, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, how full circle we've come. It turns out he is, in fact, the bigot. Uh, what a sad state of affairs. It's amazing that that's an offence that you can call the police for in Turkey. But, you know, mm. Turkey is quite a interesting uh, country, but probably not the time to go into uh, the political situation in Turkey this evening, is it? <laughs> yeah. no, when, when I went on holiday there, I ended, up in the, I ended up in an Erdogan rally. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were, you pro, were you pro or anti, JP? I was anti, but I was kind of <laughs> keeping my views to myself. While, yeah. while walking through this parade thinking I'm I'm kind of out of my depth now and I'm not going to say too much <laughs> but you tempted to well, join in what, I think the only topic of conversation I could have brought up is it, the G1 had just started and I had obviously a very good start at that point in time so I could have brought that up but <laughs> that was just like I tried to think of that more than the uh, sort of repressive Erdogan regime and, uh, <laughs> but anyway yeah I well, you today, JP oh sorry go on Joe yeah, he's continued going to his violent rallies, That's hasn't exactly he, where He's got a terrible protester. Yeah. yeah. Today. Disgraceful, mate. JP was out guarding statues tonight. That's what I heard. That's what you were up to. I wasn't. I wasn't, yeah, what, just out there to go for... Oh, yeah, because I was in Oxford 
this evening for the um, the Cecil Road, uh, the sort of controversy over the Cecil Road statue outside Oriel College, which is on the high road. You might know it. it's in the middle of Narnia, which comprises of the centre of Oxford, um, of just like all of these buildings. And it's in some ways, and we were saying this before we were recording, if you live there and you walk and you kind of go through it, you just don't pay. I don't see any of that stuff anymore. It's like, be like people who walk through Trafalgar Square. They don't see what's there for the most part. I went through that area for five years. The first five years I lived there, I would have gone through it every day. I worked right by there uh, for a long time, and I did not know that the statue was there. When you pointed out to me, JP, I was like, oh, that's where it is. Like A lot of the Oxford College stuff, I must confess, I'm completely ignorant to, but I think it's because I find the idea of what kind of Oxford University is kind of built on um, and I find the whole sort of elitism and the sort of organised elitism that it sort of stands for in many ways, something I just can't relate to and I don't kind of agree with. Um, yeah, there's probably uh, other opinions on Oxford University that might disagree well, with that. But when I've been in the Oxford Union, I've seen pictures of uh, like the old Union pictures of like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Michael Gove in the 80s hanging on the wall and Cameron and Boris. I'm thinking, fuck this. Like, I've snuck into the Oxford Union before. Not, I shouldn't have been in there, but I went in just to have a look a couple of times and I fucking hate the place. <laughs> it's it, it just oh there's just evil coming off the walls in there i think where's the investment banker here then what's he doing yeah. ripping everyone off how's he doing now sat wherever he is oh how's this person doing during the coronavirus just lying to the public and thinking about himself and his own personal pr and his opportunism and his wife's been in articles for the daily mail so the idea of oxford university is not one for me and it's not something i can relate to sorry jp i I threw you off there, but yeah, I'm completely ignorant <laughs> well, to these traditions in the city think, I've lived in for 10 years. And I think it sort of says a lot about the state of society that you can have symbols like this around the place, completely in full view, and you don't pay attention to it if you're white, really, for the most part. It doesn't have that kind of, because we've not, this is the other thing that's kind of common as well. Yeah. And this kind of links it with the Facebook stuff is the, let's face it, like piss poor idiocy amongst lots of people slash just the complete lack of learning and understanding hmm. and like what's happened in terms of we mentioned it last week with the curriculums i think it really becomes apparent this week oh, with, yeah. with churchill um and the kind of revisionist history i mean the cecil road stuff has been around a while because there's the Rhodes library which i actually thought it was going to be out today but it wasn't shows that i didn't know where, where the statue where the offending statue was um and it was all very calm it wasn't like there was any trouble whatsoever. Um, protests and speeches. I would say the kind of lack of social distancing made me feel uncomfortable. It's why I didn't go. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was kind of towards the back of it. Um, and then there was a point where everybody, uh, you, everybody knelt for um, eight minutes, 46 seconds for um, the George Floyd in silence um, with, a, with a fist salute. Um, and I could see at that point Peter Hitchens... Um, erstwhile columnist of the uh, Daily Mail, or Mail on Sunday, whichever one of the shit rags he writes for. Uh, he did, he wasn't standing. I didn't know if he was just being a contrarian fucker, as is his one. Or, um, and the other one was Michael Crick from Channel 4. Um, but it was incredibly like... I, the, the thing is, if you look at this story, the thing that stops it is there's like 100 million of donations mm. that is kind of reliant basically i don't know where it is and i'm assuming it's linked through lots of these trusts because uh, 
the Coulson story is fascinating with the fact that there was certain amount of debts being paid back. I think as far like as as um, recently as 2015 in regards to kind of Coulson. And those are the things that are probably going what, into... to the slave owners are you talking about? Well, probably trusts yeah, and the, the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's loads and, of that. Like, it's like in Liverpool. Like, oh, somebody posted a Twitter thread of like... Or did you know that, that Bold Street, one of the main cities in Liverpool, is named after somebody bold who's like one of the biggest slave owners in the area? And it's like, I had no fucking idea. And it, all yeah. this list of facts of like, well, this part of the, you know, the entry race course was paid for by this, which basically came from slave money. And there's loads, loads. None of that is like, basically, we won the war. We won the other war. Um, something about a World Cup. And like, yeah, maybe like five yep. minutes. We've got like a we've got a tiny. We, to be fair, we have got a slavery museum in Liverpool, but it's tiny, like in the Albert Dock. Yeah, but you know, you might get five minutes on that. Like, it it goes to what we said last week, doesn't it, JB? We were saying about like, you know, I had no knowledge of you know what the UK had done in Ireland. Like, I was watching that uh, the BBC show this week about Windrush, uh, the the dramatization. Where, where it was like, oh, right, I kind of didn't really understand why those people came to, to to England, and now I understand why, and it's because of the fact that we've got a presence all over the world because we were horrible, pillaging, disgusting bastards throughout history. But we don't get that. We don't get taught it in those terms, and we don't get... we don't. It's just like, oh, who are these foreigners in our country? We don't learn any of that. Like, oh, maybe we learn no. about the great British Empire... But we don't learn about all the negatives. Not that go really. Either. Not, not a great deal either. And when we you do, you learn it, there's an empire right. and yeah, we yeah, think and it's you learn that it's great. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. and that's where it is. Mm. And how do they get it? And it's just like, but we we gave them cricket and uh, and some sort of like formal infrastructure appears to be the kind of uh, gross oversimplification for these sort of horrific colonial acts that have gone on throughout history. Mm. Yeah, the lack of ignorance is is astonishing for it. Mm. I mean, and the Churchill stuff comes to it, um, which ends up in a logical situation where you've got just a group of what look like, I don't know, just football hooligans turning up wearing outside a... Tommy Robinson. Outside a a cenotaph. And it's like, it's nothing to do with the war. Well, none of this is about the war, but that's what it is. Churchill is just, a, and this is the whole thing about statues. Statues themselves are symbols, aren't they? Mm. They're symbols. They're monuments of of times. And the idea that you put one down and it has to stay there for time immemorial, and it's just like, well, what are museums then? Yeah. And I always, and, and the thing I was bringing up this point as I was asking my kids about it, like, what are they taught in history in the school? And it's like, actually, Windrush isn't, but our teacher brought it up. It wasn't mm. something that's kind of focused on. It's not in the curriculum. And, and me and Joe, we've done trips to Berlin. And we bang, we bang on and rave about Berlin. You, you've been to Berlin, Benno, as well. Yeah, a few times, yep. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a country that owns its history. Mm. Not just what, it's not just like one museum as well. Multiple museums about effectively the same kind of, of topic. And an idea of like, you're going to learn about this. And this isn't something that we get to forget, but also have to own that element of the In a history. shameful way. You know, we're ashamed of this, but this is the Oh, in a, sh- in, a, in a shameful way, exactly. And it's still very raw, I imagine, because you're mm. talking not that many generations back in people's families that it comes to. Whereas here, it's a complete sense of denial. And, like, the oldest of the people who are going on about it would have been little kids at best during it. But it's this ladybird libertarianism and and fucking um enid blighton version of history 
but that's sort of... top down as well, isn't it? You yeah. got to think about it that way. That comes from the top, unfortunately. And it keeps I'm... people thick. That's yeah, well, it exactly. Does. Exactly. It keeps and people ignorant. And, you know, when you keep people ignorant and you, you start a culture war and you use tools like Facebook and Twitter to extend that culture war mm. and you have Good Morning Britain where that culture war is kind of fought every morning. As much as I love seeing Farage get destroyed this morning, it's going to carry on. I think that with, was the, with the Churchill thing, though, it's because like the Bristol moment, I loved. I thought this is great. This mm. is a moment in time. It's a moment in history. This is a moment we're going to look back on as a country and as people in many years' time and be sort of proud of those people that started that movement. You look today, um, what Sadiq Khan has come out and said about the removal of statues and the review of it, and there was this, the statue moved outside of the London Docklands Museum. So you're thinking, you get all these twats talking about, well, it's got to follow the democratic process. And I think, yeah, absolutely. But you look at the democratic process, that Bristol statue went under, and nothing happened. My girlfriend was talking to me about when she lived in Bristol. She signed all sorts of petitions and went and stood by the statue at one point to protest it being there. And you're like, wow. okay, that was years ago when she was at university. Um, so this has been going on for years. It's not happened. So some, some people take a statue down by force to make a point as a moment of protest. And it was a peaceful protest. And okay, yeah, there was an element of violence and vigilanteism to taking a statue down. But the same time has it forced some sort of change could it force a change to how we approach history in this country let's hope so and when you look at that statue going from outside the london docklands museum today you think to yourself right this has started something good on those people for doing that and let's appreciate this for what this is let's not smear these people the problem i have is is with any protest and the protests were peaceful there was a minority of violence and idiots will attack the police on sunday right the churchill stuff i thought was kind of stupid because you've seen the bristol stuff right and what has to be remembered there's got to be some strategy here and there's got to be some tactical kind of nous and consideration of what is going on uh this colston guy not a lot of people know who he is he's no, far I had no idea. he shouldn't be there churchill like I haven't spoken to my dad about this, but I don't imagine he'll be too happy about it because my granddad fought in the war. So there's still a lot of kind of connection to World War II and the role of Churchill, right? So you you take the Bristol statue down, you, you focus on that. You go attack the Churchill statue and it's kind of like open season to the right-wing media. It plays into the hands of the right-wing media and it plays into the hands of a right-wing Tory government because they've smeared the great image of the great Winston Churchill. It's kind of like pick the right battle. This is not the battle to pick now. Many years down the line, can that image be kind of reviewed and reconsidered? Hopefully. I really hope so. I don't buy into the kind of idea of the image of Churchill. Look at that picture of me and JP in that hotel before uh, unboxing last year. Oh, uh, I'm sure JP can dig that one out and put on the uh, show oh. to remind people of. I'm not, a, I'm not a fan, but I sort of get why people of my dad's generation and that previous generation buy into the image. I understand why idiots like the likes of Tommy Robinson and these protectors of the realm also buy into the image. I don't, but it's the wrong person to attack at this moment in time because it leads to their being able to be that kind of approach by the right-wing media to spin it 
and to put it back onto the protesters as violent and thugs and vandals and the rest of it. And that's a shame. It needs to be strategy around what you target, why you target it, and how you protest. And there was, for the most part, yeah. it's a shame that happened because it's open season for the gammon dads and the face ones to go, fucking church, how dare they? He's a hero. We'd be speaking German right now if it wasn't for him. Sorry, JP, what do you want to say? Oh, no, no, no. It kind of ties on from that because you saw this happen in the States when you had the initial riots and looting. And then effectively what you happened is protesters, peaceful protesters, effectively kind of taking control of, like, not allowing people to loot, realising what it does to the message of it. And then you get the issue, though, it's kind of really at the centre of it, which is kind of it's still the sensibilities of old white conservatives that we've got to worry about. Because there's a Shame. media, because there's a media structure set up like that, and yep. then they're, they're not going to listen, and it's going to be kind of any way of avoiding it. So when you get to the kind of raw level level of anger that you've kind of seen, it's understandable because you're talking about systematic oppression that's going on and structural white supremacy going on for over 400 years. So like this is this is the kind of almost. Uh, certainly in the Western world, this is like the kind of issue that kind of really defines places and defines sort of so many things. And it feels like the first time you kind of, this is the first time where the, the kind of really serious conversation is coming in. And we're all having to look at ourselves and learn more about things and kind of think, Christ, these are things that we don't kind of pass by. Hearing, listening to people and stories of, of mm. how this is. And then the kind of, bigger fear is like if you want this change to happen there kind of has to be pressure on politicians how do you put pressure on politicians protests do that but then you're talking about a media strategy which is going to try and turn these events like the Coulson one like it was um like it was like completely reckless like this poor defenseless statue <laughs> that you did for it we get a group of blokes trying to get it out of a river yeah, what oh, you're that thinking, was kind of hilarious. It was hilarious, and I did laugh a lot of it. And and so much of this plays into that patriotism, and you know, we see it in the states, we see it here. You know, well, it's, it's... the construct of patriotism. JP yeah. recently made a great point with me, and you were on a social distance walk around a golf course, <laughs> where we spoke about the generation of gammon dads, the Facebook mums, and even you know the slightly older generation as the ultimate generation of marks. They are yeah. fucking marks. Marks they... of the flag. Oh, yeah. And they choose oh, their pride, yeah. like choosing their fucking wrestler. They believe in the constructs of patriotism and they buy into all this simplistic eulogization bollocks in the same way that quite simple people might have bought into the idea of, I don't know, Jerry Lawler in Memphis in the 1970s. I was, was going to say, they look at flags like women looked at Kerry Von Erich in the fucking sportatorium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what they look at. And they're so fucking into the flag and the national anthem, isn't it? And it is like, well, if I listen to the special slog, if I listen to the special song, then the magic flag will help me freedom. And it's like, what does this mean? This sounds like something from some bizarre fucking universe. Uh, like, yeah. The way people react around this stuff. Mm. I think the idea is, and where I kind of am with it, and I kind of, I very much angst over blocking people and, and things like that. Yeah. But I, I, I am at the point where I'm thinking, I need to join in these conversations. And, and if after a while it means telling people, you're fucking wrong, PS, you're fucking thick and racist, then so be it. And as Joe knows, one of those people is a particularly big man who's into weightlifting. And I'm thinking, 
it's going to be fun when I pull up. But when I pull up some photos from today's march on there, um, please do it. Do it. The problem is though, JP, when saying that stuff, yeah, it. it I'll be doing it. That culture war it extends this. Yeah, yeah it well, does. I'm a victim here. All lives matter narrative, and you know, I think we are a very much a podcast that makes no bones about being in support of black lives matter Mm -hmm. and what it stands for and i do think the kind of all lives matter stuff that i keep hearing is people who don't understand what black lives matter kind of is and it goes back to the whole people getting the news from facebook some of my girlfriend works who told her that um she doesn't like this black lives matter stuff it's all about everyone and all lives matter she was like okay like what, what where have you got this my girlfriend and someone she works with whose husband is black whose children are mixed race explained a little bit more to her and then she told him she doesn't bother watching news she just gets all of her news off facebook and it's like yeah this is where we are <laughs> this is really yeah. dangerous yeah. this is a, an uphill battle sorry but yeah. i'm distracted there ben. I... No, I was gonna say like that's that's the thing as well like it, it, it even when you tell these people like this bloke on facebook i was mentioning earlier like i'm not that guy you know like i've mentioned i think i've i've supposed posted screenshots of stuff he said in our group chat before and and people have said to me just delete him and i go no i want to i want to hear what the what that horrible even if it's the other side it's the horrible side but i I do kind of want to know what's going on like i want to like thing is that like to the point like i I've tried having those conversations with him and you try and explain, well, you know, Lee Rigby was, you know, his killers were properly prosecuted and dealt with. How is that the same as, as this? Like, why are you drawing these false equivalencies to grooming gangs? Not There being no outrage over grooming gangs, but there's loads of outrage over this American who died, this criminal. And I, I've, I've tried and I kind of gave up. And it, it goes... To the root of it, literally before we jumped on tonight, I was, I was speaking to my mum on the phone. We were having a lovely chat. And then she mentioned something about COVID. And then she went, oh, but those idiot protesters this weekend. And I'm like, mum, I just don't even, I can't. Like, I mean, dad's the same. My dad's sharing memes yeah. on Facebook of, like, you know, how idiotic the protesters are. And it's like, they are, I, the, if there they were a, concern. it wouldn't be an issue, would it? No, that's it. There is a, con- I, I get it. There's a concern of, you know, like you said, JP, there's a lot of people in one place. Un- I'd be un- Personally, I'd be uncomfortable with that. But it's not my first thought. My first thought is, oh shit, all of these horrible videos we've been seeing these last couple of weeks, all these horrible news stories. Exactly. All of the, all yeah. of the, the, you know, the black people that I know or I've seen, you know, come out and talk about, like, publicly the privilege that they don't enjoy that we enjoy it as three straight white males doing a podcast you know just listening to their stories paying attention to like the conversation that's arose of like the of you know windrush and and the horrible history our, our country's got like that that's that's all stuff that i'm you know that, that, I, that i think is much more important than that right now and it's 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 when you when your first instinct is to go, yeah, but what about the statue? Oh, yeah, but what about the horse? Oh, yeah, but 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 but, but, but what about the fact there's a lot of people in one place? It's like, I, I, try, I try with mum and my dad to have that conversation, and, you know, you're the same with your mum and dad, aren't you? Sometimes, sometimes Joe, you're not going to win, but I'd rather at least try and have the conversation. Uh, but there is there's an entire generation of people older than us that have been, like, I don't want to say militarized by Facebook, like, but like, kind of have in a way, like, by Rad- radicalized. radicalized by bad information. Um, yeah. or really they are, don't want to information. It's yeah, it's kind of the, a crazy world. The EU issue wasn't a thing for the mm. longest period of time. It was something that the Tories killed themselves over, mm. and Facebook fucking ruined that. Mm. 
I'm it's like the war on drugs, why? isn't it? In the 80s, like Reagan made that because, up. Like, that well, didn't exist. I'd, but it all stems back to that fucking twat just wanting all to... All the work, rate, mate. It all stems yeah. him to trying try to... Uh, uh, fucking Zuckerberg rating women in college. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And instead he just produced a tool that's nearly destroying the world. Uh, we need uh, we need less Zuckerbergs and more uh, ice cubes and ice teas. They've been good followers these last weeks. The Rock, oh, the rock of all people did a fucking... I know it's The Rock and it was basically a promo, but compare him to like Trump's response. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting most of my information from Ice T and Ice Cube at the moment. I don't know about you guys, but that's that's where the, that's Mate. where. And uh, what's what's the bloke called? The actor who's in Star Wars, the, the English guy, uh, John Boyega. John Boyega. Yeah, 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 good on yeah. What what a bloke that that he is as well. Like get, learning so much from those dudes. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I was watching The Rock, I was thinking, man, if I could, if like the celebritization of politics has to continue in the US, if I could choose two people to be the Democrat candidate right now, it would be The Rock or Tom Hanks. <laughs> I think they would know, how to, they would know how to unify a nation. They would get, <laughs> they would get it back together, and they would sort shit out. Yeah, I'm sure some bad stuff would come out i'm sure some people would make some stuff up as well to try and smear them and i'm sure they'd have to battle the likes of fox and tucker carlson and his small-minded bullshit which he doesn't even believe himself and he lies every night on television to convince people to you know buy into their most irrational fears but yeah there's two men who could uh, sort this shit out it would be it would be those lads uh mm. yeah it's a strange one isn't it but i was i did have a look at twitter and i've got to say every time i go on there i do get quite depressed yeah. because i'm just watching these horrible videos but ice cube was uh brighter my day it got me watching um i've been on a bit of a run recently um where i've been watching a lot of spike lee films got me on a bit of a john singleton run as well i couldn't i I don't know, his death passed me by. Uh, he died last year, 51. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. But I watched uh, Higher Learning last night, oh, which cool. is... Uh, have you seen it, Benno? Yeah, years ago, though. I can't remember the last time I saw it. On, uh, honestly, I wasn't going to. Ex- I wasn't expecting much out of it. Mm. It's a much better film than the reviews that I'd read led me to believe. But I think it might be more relevant now because it's so so much about tribes on a university campus mm. and about young people being radicalised and ended up in tribes. And I wonder if in 1995 this wasn't so widespread, whereas now it plays really effectively and some mm-hmm. of it really really got to me um like really touched me um there are things you learn from it as well lawrence fishburne's character is a really interesting take on a university professor in there as well mm-hmm. it's re- a real shame that a film like that and do the right thing as well but not on netflix and when people are going to say netflix and amazon prime to watch that watch film content and netflix have added a lot of films recently i've noticed films that i previously in the last few months found a way of watching are now on netflix <laughs> um, something i wasted my bandwidth but it's films like that that i wish <laughs> would go up. Oh, oh yeah i wish they promote a little bit more and take the time to promote because this this is where i learn a lot about i don't know like oppression and you know uh what went on in america for example and i just think it's such an easy way in for so many people if those films are there and you know there's also there's an educational element to those films as well you know you could argue that they're a work but they're a work for a fucking reason not a work like facebook is leading people down the wrong path (laughs) i watched the the central park five on netflix this week no no, it's not called is any good i've not seen it is it called when they see us that's the one when they see us the the dramatization the guys trump condemned as well didn't trump put um he still thinks they were released now 
even though they've been released on this DNA evidence of the dude who actually did it, he still talks about these five young black lads as if they're murderers and rapists. Like, even on the campaign trail leading to his inauguration, he was still saying it. Like, that's... Yeah, it was... It was To be honest, it was scary how relevant it was to, you know, the stories of the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's part of it. It's a big part of it. I watched that. I watched The 13th, which is a good documentary series on, like, the, the oh, history yeah. of, um, of black people in America. Like, just stuff that, like, I felt like I, I should be educating myself on better than, you know, considering the, the events of last week and the, you know, the shitstorm that we kind of released our, our podcast into to last week as well. Uh, yeah, it genuinely be a bit helpful view and worth watching if you get a chance to put it on. Um, although I know you've been busy, Joe, watching Judgment Day, so maybe you won't, uh, you won't have had time to watch... Uh... <laughs> Judgment Night. No, Judgment not, Night, sorry. Oh, no, you're leading people down the wrong path there. You'd be thinking I'm watching The Undertaker returning and choke slamming <laughs> with a DX after he comes out to Kid Rock. I'm, I've not been watching oh. that. I watched Judgment Night. Yes, I apologise. A... That's terrible from that front. From me as well. Like I've, I've been a fan yeah. of that film since two in the morning in some late 1990s <laughs> night when it when it happened to be on like bbc2 uh i've been telling people about judgment night for years i can't believe it never came up on this podcast actually especially when we've talked about trespass and uh yeah. other similar films yeah i never knew of it uh it was because i was listening been when i've been working out recently been listening to a lot of uh sort of metal stuff and was listening to some slayer and uh, rediscovered the Slayer and Ice T song uh, yes. Disorder. I know Martin Bushby, a British wrestling experience, isn't a fan of it. I think it's an absolute banger, personally. Uh, I, yeah, I've been running to that one quite a lot in the last week or Onyx so. Onyx and Biohazard. Yeah, Onyx and Biohazard as well. There's a great Faith No More song on there as well. The really? soundtrack is considerably better than the film. Yeah. The film was utter shit. Like, I'm it's not going to lie. Shit, Did I? Oh, I enjoyed it because it was so bad. Yeah. Like some absolutely implausible scenes that I was like, why is this happening? Like one bit where people climb ladders that happen to be stuck together with some sort of tape between two buildings. You're like, why is that ladder there? And how did it get there in the first place? This doesn't make any sense. And they do not make use of that soundtrack. Like, yeah. I was like, this soundtrack is fucking... This soundtrack feels like it's the birth of new metal to me. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I, was a, I was a new metal fan back in the day, as were most, I imagine, people who were into the Attitude Era at that yeah. point in time. Either back with uh, Red Cap Jard, where it sometimes... Yeah. Exact, exactly, Bello. But this was pre-Limp Bizkit. Onyx and Biohazard. Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth. Like, yeah. Absolutely teenage, bizarre. Teenage, fa- teenage fan club and Della Soul. And that, I love that opening song. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's at the beginning of the film, I think. Beginning yeah. of the film, yeah. Judgment Night. And uh, yeah, that people haven't seen it, by the way. Booyah tribe. Oh. That's it, yeah. yeah, that's the one, JP. That, that's Got all set as like... More kick as well. All that's playing is like it basically the film is a group of middle class dads try and drive to this boxing match and somehow oh, get somehow get lost in the ghetto and then have to fight their way out. Oh. Like that's the film. It's basically like Streets of Rage, but it's a film. I think that's yeah. why I loved it when I was a kid. Cuba Gooden Jr. is on the babyface side. I like Cuba Gooden Jr. He's good. Emilio Estevez, he's good at it too. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Dennis, mate. He's Dennis. very white meat babyface. I was like nineteen ninety three. He's very Lex Luger. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. How, how does Dennis Leary? Uh, uh, how does he come across these days? Because I was like. I loved Dennis Leary in the early 90s, and then I discovered Bill Hicks, and basically Dennis Leary entirely ripped off his act from Bill Hicks, and it was like, oh, right, this is what I should have been watching. But he was the bad guy in that. And another terrible film that probably neither of you have seen called Gunmen, 
with Christopher Lambert and Mario Van Peebles. Save that sounds that amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see it now. Pat- Patrick Stewart's in it. Awesome. JP, find me this film. Yes. I will do. Don't worry. One of these a week. Um, we'll be yeah, doing film uh, reviews one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but the... Uh, but, uh, what was I going to say? The bloke who directed this, who directed Judgment Night, he also directed a, an awful film that I love because of its terrible... Tommy Lee Jones' terrible Irish accent that's blown away with Jeff Bridges. Yeah, I know the film. Is that the, like, IRA... Oh yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Featuring the worst pint of Guinness in history. It looks like a Coke. It right. looks like a black Coke. And I was just like, I'm out of this film. Did your dad uh, see it? He didn't see it. Okay. He didn't he didn't see it. <laughs> I made him watch Spawn once and he told me after forty five minutes, turn this fucking shit off when John Leguizamo turned up as a little clown. Mate, <laughs> another film with a great soundtrack. Another soundtrack yeah. is better than the film. Way better than the film. soundtrack's important. Yeah. I remember them days when you'd buy the the CD. Like I own the uh, the the album, you know, Street Fighter the movie, the terrible one with John Clover and that. <laughs> yeah, my mum bought me that album for Christmas one year, and I spin that a lot. It's not a good album. There's a good Ice Cube song on it, good Chage and Asuka song on it. Other than that, it's terrible. Um, I don't but I play it all it. the time. Play it all the time for all of the songs from the film. But it was a it was a it was a hip hop album. It was a, like exhibit was on it and Raskas and people like that. Um, oh, Dion Sanders, I think, has got a song on it with MC Hammer. Uh, Aggression. Yeah, it's that type of thing. But when you in those years <laughs> when you you probably owned about ten CDs, it was just like, well, mm. I'm gonna have to, have to play oh, this yeah. every day anyway, no matter what. It was a bit like owning a film, wasn't it? You'd see it a hundred times, like I did Judge of at Night when I uh, taped it off the BBC. Oh, <laughs> oh, I love the fact you taped it, Ben. Oh, Good yeah. Work, yeah. I think I had the first 10 minutes missing, so it was years before I saw all the, the setup with oh, them the uh, getting the camper van the and all that. The leafy suburbs. Yeah, I, did, I, had no, I had no idea about all that until years later. But that's what to make do in those days. Like, no other part in the film whatsoever and just disappears <laughs> out of it. Yeah. <laughs> bad setup. Bad setup. Uh, amazing. Trust um, me, compared to gunmen. It, this it's, it's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I was going to say we've, we've we've almost gone forty minutes on the intro, but it's kind of you know people are used to it now. Yeah. I was going to say if you've been up to anything, oh, JP. Shit you've... that's been going on this week. Come on, <laughs> it's like, worthwhile. There's been there's not been a lot else that's kind of on my mind, well, and it's hard. To, it's hard. I don't think we should be escaping this stuff. No, no, no. Yeah. But it is good to escape it for a bit, but it's hard to escape it. It oh, really I, is. Imagine if we'd have put that podcast out last week and not talked about you know the biggest news story that was happening at that point with the riots and everything going on in America and all the Black yeah, Lives Matter stuff. Like, exactly, yeah, and dropping that into the ether and trying to uh, trying to push our, our great wrestling opinions over, you know, what was uh, what was really happening in the real world. Um, but I was going to say, I was gonna, before we do get to the 40 minute, I think the 40 minute mark's kind of marked by like, like my mental cutoff for this stuff. But I was going to say, JP, yeah. before we do go further, have you set up your fancy football team yet? Because the Prem's back next week, next Wednesday. The game is open again. There's unlimited transfers. I just wanted to give you a heads up on it. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, I'm guessing you haven't. In that case, no. The, the expression on my face is this is. I, I hadn't <laughs> thought about it. The app has sort of installed itself in the meantime. I fucking will be. Um, I was well into that in the meantime. So yeah, I'm looking for unlimited transfers. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Me and I, you. I, I can. I'll. I'll be on it this week. We'll become um, a grapple, I, Gareth. I, Think about it, JP. Teams can make five substitutions now, so your young boys might be getting a bit more action now. That sounded terrible, didn't it? But your young boys might be getting on the pitch a bit more, JP. Now, so, you know they they will. Um, 
those those young Irish lads that I keep a a kind of ruthless laser like laser like focus on. So, looking at you, Michael Obafemi. <laughs> Hopefully, he'll be, he'll be tearing it up in some empty stadiums soon enough, Joe. Along with Shane you're, Long, you'll be looking team. at him a lot more than I will, mate. Uh, my interest in this is really low. Mm. I, I I really don't want to come back. I'm not going to lie. I on the weekend I switched the TV on on Saturday, and it, uh, ten minutes in. England versus Scotland from Euro 96. I sat there for the next 80 minutes and I watched it and it was kind of great. Uh, it was great to observe. We were shit in the first half, but Scotland didn't have any cutting edge. There was nothing too clinical. Gary McAllister was their best player by a mile and Ali McCoy's wasn't on the pitch. Uh, and then Jamie Redknapp comes on. We changed formation and he completely changes the game while he's on the pitch. It was great. Um, so I watched that. And then yesterday I was sat here doing some uh, marking and I put the TV on to try and catch some news. And about eight minutes in was Spain-Yugoslavia from Euro 2000, which was a game <laughs> I absolutely loved. 4-3 to Spain. My God, the game was better than I remember. The pace that it was played at was unbelievable. So I sat in marking, completely distracted by this like frenetic Spain side that had none of the ticky-tacker shit that I absolutely despised. And Guardiola was like the pivot, the pinpoint for the Spanish side. You're thinking, ah, it's a shame your sides didn't play like this, Pep. I'd probably enjoy watching them play if they carried on playing in this frantic way. So BBC are putting on loads of oh, old yeah. Euro games. I am psyched on Thursday afternoon to watch uh, the Czech Republic Holland from Euro 2004, which is a game I remember Pavel Nedved absolutely dominating. So <laughs> please let the old football continue because I just cannot get excited about watching every single game on TV. Um, and I'm not going to make any effort. I might watch the ones on the BBC because I can just switch my TV on, but... Bournemouth Palace is the first one. I've no, I've no interest. Yeah, um, BBC haven't yeah. done well with their four games, have they? Uh, they've kind of no, been they like, haven't at all. They've been treated like uh, like the lower class citizens that I think they are in a, in a conversation with uh, with Sky, BT Sport, and Amazon. I think they got dwarfed out of that conversation. But I'm going to miss it. I'm, I've genuinely, I've, like I've said on this podcast, I was really enjoying match of their day. That stopped. The match of the day, oh, top it was ten. Really good on Saturday. Did you watch it on Saturday? Oh, the top ten. I haven't seen the latest one. I've, I've, I'm oh, not it was good. Behind. It was international home nations international moments. I saw it that's what it was. Yeah, the last one I saw was like the best games, where it was just like all of the different. Basically, it was a load of four fours and four threes and all kinds of classic stuff. But I'm gonna miss all that. Like I've been, I've been enjoying that. Like, but I suppose the footy's back, so you know, it is what it is. I, I think for me, football is. I'll be honest, kind of done. <laughs> I just want to live in the nostalgic past of football from kind of my childhood through to my mid-twenties, if I'm honest. And I know that sounds tragic, and I know I sound like an old man, but no, I just I can't We've get all been doing it with the wrestling, stuff. though. I was going to say, there you go, JP. There's I, still, there's, I still love wrestling. Point. I still love current wrestling. New Japan's great. AEW's got all sorts of potential. Wrestling's still great. Independent wrestling was great. Football can still be great i think of how mad i was going last year for that spurs ajax game and for some of that liverpool side but oh, i don't know I, I there's so much about the modern game that i just i just despise and i sound like an old man shouting at a cloud but when i'm watching these old games i'm thinking i can't i, I don't know i can't relate i can't engage in the way that i, I once did yeah. Well, Sorry to depress everyone. No, it's all right. Well, like like, J- like JP said there, and I'm marking it down. Forty two twenty six. There you go. Going in the show notes. Um, JP linked it to wrestling, which is kind of the, where, uh, where we were going there. Like I would say, 
that's kind of been the thing with wrestling, isn't it? Like we've been doing like these retro podcasts. We've got one coming up, and we're still going to be you know dipping our toes into that stuff. But it feels like I mean I've said a couple of times on this podcast, wrestling. I won't think wrestling's coming back until New Japan comes back. And fucking hell, lads! Good job we recorded this on a Tuesday because New Japan's coming back next week. New Japan's coming back. Like I'm not even just that. Like, ne- ne- like if anyone managed to miss the announcement, they're basically doing the New Japan Cup over, and literally from next Monday, there's going to be from the 16th. It is the 16th onwards. The New Japan Cup starting again in empty arenas for the first week, um, or for the first few weeks, and then on July the 11th, which is like it's only a month away, they're going to be doing shows in front of I think it's two third audiences at the. Uh, at Osaka Joe Hall, I think that was... Oh, one-third, I think. One-third, is it? I'm sure I see... Yeah. Like, was it, like, 3,000, I think, is the number? So is that oh, one-third of there? Is it more same. than that? Yeah, wow. Well, that's holds, impressive. Osaka Joe holds closer to about 12, doesn't it? Right, yeah. So yeah, maybe it's between yeah, three and four in that case. But, like, they're literally within a month... Like, we were talking only last week about how, you know, New Japan are the ones who've came out and said, and Tanahashi said, you know, where we'll be the last to come back. Like, Tanahashi was wheeled out for that press conference last night at four in the morning, and, you know, they're back. Uh, they're doing it. Uh, it's, I can't lie that I'm not excited. I am excited about it. I think, I'm guessing from your point of view, Joe, next week's empty arena stuff might be a harder sell. But New Japan in front uh, of an audience, saying that, does New, is New Japan different for you? Well, New Japan's got a lot of goodwill for me because mm. they've treated this seriously. They've acted like human beings. They've not tried to pretend that this virus doesn't exist. Um, they're the adults in the room when it comes to uh, pro wrestling. Mm. And you know what? This is the first thing I saw. I woke up this morning and had a message on my phone saying about it and was actually kind of excited for it and kind of like, oh, that's really good news. And they've taken precautions, and if they've taken those precautions and they feel that it's safe to come back at this point, I kind of trust New Japan. I trust in them. I'll be watching this stuff. I'm not going to watch every every single match. Um, you know, I'm not going to be watching Yano Yura versus Kanemaru, for example. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably won't watch that one either. But I'll watch a good, good amount of it, and it's kind of cool to have this back at this point this point in time it's come at a good time and now i'm genuinely quite excited to watch some of this there, there looks like there's going to be some decent stuff there's some good potential matchups nagata suzuki first round i know it's mm. empty arena but that's still got me um the potential for suzuki akada in the round afterwards show shingo i love that match that they had last year i'm mm. excited to see that again so no there's a lot of stuff here that could be really good fun over the next couple of weeks and it'll be nice to review some new japan on here again because mm. you know as much as i've enjoyed watching the retro stuff and taking some time out and watching other stuff that isn't wrestling uh i i have missed new japan it's hard to say that i haven't you know you look at how we left this and it felt like things are really bubbling quite nicely in new japan it's a shame about some of the guys who aren't able to make it over but they filled the card out really well it's interesting that zach and gabriel kidd stayed over there i had no idea about that and are they the only gaijin i think they are that are on the card yeah yeah 
No, it's it's looking good, and uh, it's going to be really quite cool to actually have fans back for that Osaka Joe Hall show. And I like the fact that New Japan are kind of it's almost like they're plotting to the return of fans. Mm. Like we're going to do a little bit of empty arena, and we're going to build to this moment. Mm. And it feels like it's going to be the moment where the kind of wrestling community can go, yes, like we're back, we're back properly, and we've got a proper show here from a proper company who have been through this, um, who have respected their their workers during this as well, and have managed this really well. So, no, I'm excited. Yeah, so it's one of them. Like, I, I, you know, all of this Tory propaganda about, oh, we're bringing the country back, and, you know, you can meet six people in a garden, and, oh, we're going to be open in the fucking garden centres, and the shops are open, and none of that to me means the world is back. If I can watch a New Japan show, even with, a, with you know, a third capacity, if I can watch that, and maybe if I can get a haircut as well, I'll take a haircut too. Like, I feel like it, it, pro- it, it boosted my mood this morning. Like, I've, you know, I've had a shit week, and hearing that New Japan were coming back made me feel that sense of normality. And you're, you're right, Joe, the difference, it feels like I trust them to be responsible, to deal with this the right way. Um, and yeah, you know, if you're going to have a crowd, to do it in that way with less people. Japan in general, you know, I know uh, I've heard WH talk about it and have concerns about maybe, you know, the way they, they dealt with the numbers earlier on with the uh, the Olympics and there was a bit of concern overall about maybe some of it being propaganda that Japan were allegedly doing so well with the virus. But generally, they've done well with the virus and I think a lot of that's, you know, Japanese culture and, you know, they, they, you know, they were more willing to cause it past the culture wear masks outside everyone in that building is going to be wearing a mask like no matter what you could not it doesn't even have to be the rule and it will happen it feels just overall like a, a safer environment and it feels like yeah this feels like i've enjoyed AEW. i've got to be honest but i felt guilty enjoying AEW. Uh, I don't know how you feel on it, JP, but I don't feel mm. any guilt about New Japan coming back, even the MT Arena shows next week. Felt a bit soon when I first heard the announcements, but you know what? I, like Joe said, I kind of trust them. I, yeah, you trust them. And this comes into actually the whole thing about consumer confidence, isn't it? And about the idea about you get that kind of confidence back from people if they feel you're treating the issue properly. And in this case, they're treating it properly. They're being grown, like Joe said, they're the grown-ups in the room. And the the thing that they've done with this is they've come back. Coming back with a tournament is very canny because how are you going to have the interest in these shows? Well, you've got this tournament that's going on. And that's a kind of nice, easy, like kind of way in as much as anything else. It gives matches that we wouldn't perhaps care about that little bit of meaning. And if we're watching them in an empty arena in these first couple of shows, that's something there. And obviously there's, there's some really good matches in there. The, the potentials for the upsets... And, and everything else. I mean, that's the thing about the New Japan Cup. It's it's it because it's it's a a knockout tournament. Effectively, the booking's quite unpredictable, and that's quite nice to come back to. I wonder whether or not they're going to do Hiromu Naito because there's a possibility they could do that, and that was something they wanted to build to as well. Um, there's there's you know what you're almost doing is trying to spot some of the upsets and what the potential upsets are and what. What directions they're going in? The usual game of what, what direction is New Japan booking going in? And tournaments are kind of a good way to restart a lot of that stuff fresh. Mm. So, like you guys, I'm looking forward to it. And um, That's just because Yamura's in it, JP. Yamura, Gabriel Kidd, your boys there, mate. They might make it. Oh, through. they're all there. But, no no Osprey, is there? He's but in this London, is the other so. thing as well. 
they've all had time to rest. Mm. They've all had time to rest, and probably all going to come back hench as fuck. I'd imagine. <laughs> um, like like Osprey, pretty... who's like sat if... sat in Rainford, oh, yeah. putting like four stone worth of, worth worth of muscle on. Uh, I thought my um, pandemic diet was bad. Jesus, he's a big lad. Jesus. Now. If if I was going to pick someone I'd want to win it, um, Tomohiro Ishii. I'll always say Tomohiro Ishii. It's the one of match I've kind of I've wanted to see in New Japan for a while. It's like a good crowd pleasing main event on a big show, where you can you can have him there. He's going to put in a brilliant effort because you're putting him on this big stage, but you know at the same time he's not going to win. Mm. Do you know what I go for? Go on, Tanahashi. Because he's been the kind of uh, statesman for New Japan during this. He feel good, he's been, it? feel right. Yeah, he's he's been the go-to guy. He's been the guy that's been <laughs> the locker room leader, you could say. Um, like I think he's come out of this really well with some of the stuff he said. You know, his meetings with the government. I think that that would be a kind of feel-good moment to see him in the main event. I wouldn't have him beat Naito. But I think seeing him go through the tournament and having that kind of match as a kind of big comeback and a way to announce that you're back is a big-time Tanahashi main event. It's too early to do uh, a card of Naito again, if you ask oh, yeah, me. Yeah. But give Tanahashi that slot and have just... I just want to feel good. I want to feel positive about wrestling. And AEW have had moments, but there's still that lingering doubt in the back of your mind of it. Mm. Whereas, yeah, Tanahashi here going through the tournament, I think that's a great moment that you could possibly possibly build to if anything um yeah yeah it's interesting as well because looking at it i'm wondering if they're maybe not going down the route of doing the usual multi-band tags and they're thinking we don't want people mixing in that way you don't need it short shows shows. short four match five match shows that's all you need in an empty arena two i think john lister said today that the shows are booked on new japan world for two hours so that indicates to me we're just oh, getting okay. the singles. No, that's not been confirmed in any way, but that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds like they're, they've, yeah. read, they've read the room. They've seen how we all dealt with two days' worth of WrestleMania and, you know, three-hour roars in front of nobody, and they've kind of gone, you know, or or even, you know, the shows that have been going on in Japan, they've kind of locked on and gone, no, that's probably the best. That's the most we can expect from people to watch on a daily basis. All Japan have been running um, sort of one-match cards on, like, Wednesdays they? and stuff like that. that. Yeah, just like one match, I think it's, I, I'm assuming it's from their dojo. And mm. they're just sort of filming that, and then they're putting that out there as a bit of content, just every once in a while. Um, and yeah, I could see them doing this. I'd, I'd even go an hour and a half. <clears throat> I think you don't need to burn this stuff out at all. And I think a, a gradual, like kind of softly, softly approach of just having, these are the matches, and they kept on announcing there were special singles, special matches that were there. I could see them doing some sort of fun tags involving some of the other people. So mm. you might have one multi-man t- tag on the card, which will probably be some sort of like all-stars affair, mm. which I'm kind of fine with because those those in themselves are kind of, they're, they're, they're very easy to watch, generally, you know, inoffensive. Mm. Well, that was what I was saying though, JP. I'm wondering if they're cutting down on those matches because they want too many people mixing in like a close environment. In a oh, room, yeah. At that point mm. in time, possibly. I don't know. And, you know, I'm still a bit lost on some of this stuff myself. I'm not a scientist. Like, yeah. if someone's facing this guy, 
if he fails, <laughs> science, I'm fucking awful at. Like, seriously bad. Like, someone I was talking to my girlfriend about the other day about coronavirus, and she put me straight, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so stupid when it comes to anything scientific. But, like, I don't know. Let's say, for example, Zach faces Ibushi one night. Mm. Uh, if he's facing Tanahashi, say, the next night, you know, is that is he at less risk than he is if he's in a six man where he's with five other people? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the science is when it comes to that. And, you know, I don't know if New Japan are being led by the science like this great nation supposedly claimed it was in order to work the British public. Um, fucking marks. But anyway, <laughs> and we got we got worked by the NWOB team. That's what makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, the NWOB team, Ho- the likes Hogan of leading the beat leading the NWO black and white. Like Horace like, leading them, I think. Horace Hogan leading them. Like, that's mate, the Labour front bench was the end, like, under the Blair government. That first term, that was the NWO. Like, <laughs> Blair... Was that the Wolfpack? You know, uh, John Prescott, Jack Straw, Brown, Mo Molum. These are some big fucking hitters. What I would get, Robin Cook, what I'd see to give some of them on a front bench we, right now. Proper politicians. We were comparing them to like kind of wrestlers at the time NW and we said Mo Molan was like the equivalent of getting in great Muta. She's like a big deal in another territory. You're getting her in for the kind of super shows type of thing, aren't you? Big parliamentary yeah. debates. Uh, would Blair and Brown be um Hogan and Savage in the NWO possibly? What do you make of that? or would maybe Nash uh, I know you're not a savage guy, but be... like you can't you can't you can't tar him with Gordon Brown. I'm not having it. <laughs> Oh, I'm thinking maybe more Kevin Nash spitting off of the Wolfpack, the Blairites, the Brownites, His hair's possibly. not that nice. <laughs> yeah, but what, what I would give one of them big hitters rather than the fucking Ra or Shaps or someone like that absolute fucking ween, Matt Hancock. Like, who looks at that bloke and goes, oh, he's good. He's all right. He's, he's looking out for us, isn't he? Yeah. No, he's only looking out for him fucking self. PR ahead of public health. You know, that's what it's all about. But anyway, back <laughs> up. Yeah, we've got, we've got actual wrestling, haven't we? It's got some fantastic <laughs> PR because of the way they've considered the health of their workers. Yes. I hope um, they're testing. I do hope they're testing. That's one thing yeah, for me. Sorry. I think it's, it's just going to be the temperature. Have they got a good track and trace system in place as well in Japan? That I don't mm. know because let's face I'd have more faith that the Japanese government are doing a good uh, contact track and trace system mm. than, they, than they are over here. With that app, have we seen that? No? You know, that's not uh, been brought up in the news recently, is it? Oh, uh, just... Uh, fuck knows. Apparently, it's very till September, October now. That's what I saw something about. But, yeah, it's... It, I, I'm thinking as well, with the empty arena stuff, mm. it might give the guys a chance to iron out the kinks and not working for a while, work off some of the ring rust, not have fans there to kind of scrutinise that in the same way, possibly. Not that Japanese fans do that. Um, and then when they get to the show where there's fans there, the kinks will hopefully be ironed out and they'll be back on top form, let's so. hope. And you know it's a limited time thing as well, whereas with WWE and AEW, the novelty is well worn off now. Like It's like the mm. same thing will happen with the football. We'll all be like, oh, how cool is it that we can hear them swearing at each other? And then by the third game, you're like, all right, I've had enough of this. That's... It's basically a couple of weeks of it, and then we're back to crowds. So it's kind of going to be interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm taking it as a, as a, as a positive, and it's, it's mm. not... I don't think they're going to bear me out with it, uh, even though there are quite a lot of shows over those first couple of weeks, because, you know, you know Gado, his plans, his, his booking plans were blown up 
and he's still come back and he's still insisting on doing this New Japan Cup. Oh, he's missing 14 wrestlers? Whatever, we'll bring in Gabriel Kidd, but we'll still book the exact fucking tournament I was going to book. There's still going to be fucking 32 of the fuckers, and we're going to do it properly. That's good. Good on him, Benno. I respect him him so much. Um, He's got his best way to come back. There's a focus to the comeback. There's a purpose with this tournament. Which, like we told him in your call, Joe, cracking booking. No, that was just (laughs) you, mate, and it was and he didn't acknowledge it but it was it was a fantastic comment this guy don't walk past us in your call Amazing. good booking mate <laughs> just in a general way just wanting to know you know it's JP love mate you know yeah. but yeah I, I honestly think JP's onto something I, I do think I think we're getting Hiromu. I think they wanted to do Hiromu Naito, and we're going to get it through this. It does mean Hiromu winning the New Japan Cup, which does seem a bit off with him being a, a junior, but if any time was to do it, it's now. If not that, it's that top corner of the bracket where it's Tanahashi, Taichi, Kota Ibushi, Zack Sabre, all, all in the four. Like I'm not considering Taichi in that group, but if it's not Hiromu, it's, it's one of that other three uh, for me who's winning this Don't thing, be so. entirely surprised if it was Taichi, though. Yeah, but it is possible thing. as well, isn't it? Oh, you don't want Gato sticking to his plans. Like, yeah, Taichi, Taichi Naito, oh. when in doubt, Fuck do it. that. It's nah, new they've Japan, done JP. that so many times. Come on, they're not, they're not going to throw that one at us here. No way. <sighs> I'm, all, I'm not bothered with you, you know, Joe. It's bad pizza at this point. I don't care. It's fucking pizza. I'm getting New Japan pizza, and I don't care what toppings are on it. I'll be fine. Throw some pineapple at me. I'm not asked. I'm excited. In fact, I like pineapple sauce. So shouldn't slag it off. Just don't put any cheese on. But that's another matter. But anyway, I'm excited either way. I don't care. I really don't that's care. Odd. The matches can be terrible. Do you, know the, do you know the great thing about this as well? They've replaced all these guys, right? But it still kind of feels quite organic. It still feels like this is New Japan, mm. which yeah. is so different to they a never company. They never go, no. let's fly in so-and-so, or let's get another big name from all Japan or Noah or something. No, what they do is they go, Gabriel Kidd's lying around, let's use him. And I love that. It's yeah. New Japan. Good on them. I'm good with that. But putting the young lions into the mix gives them the stories. It gives them the kind of setup. It's there. It also gives them a chance to kind of grade them on that higher curve. Mm. I, 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 for Gabriel Kidd, this is, you know, Taiji Shimori. There's a chance of a really good, nice 10-minute match there. Sure. Absolutely. Um, is, is there any word of the commentary for this one? Because I'm assuming Kevin Ooh, Kelly can't get over, can he? He might do it remotely from home because I think he's got a studio at home. He's done it before where he's done the kind of voiceovers from there. I wouldn't be surprised if they've worked out a way of having Maybe him, Gino Gambino, just not live. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah, because I suppose they could record the matches and then send them over the tape. I, I don't mind watching the Japanese commentary. I have no issue with that at all. But no, yeah. I just wondered if there had been any announcement on that. Because I think Andy Boy Simmons was originally going over for the New Japan That's Cup right, as well. Yeah. I wanted to do it with Kelly. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I don't think it would be the time to maybe bring him in to do this. I'd probably just go with that kind of steady announced team if you're doing it. Kelly and Rocky Romero, go with that. Maybe Chris Charlton as well if you can work him into the mix somehow. But yeah. No, I'm excited. And what it is, is, you know, in a in a week where, unfortunately, I watched a terrible, what, I'd say terrible, just a bad or average WWE show. And then I'm hearing about this, um, this angle where on the main roster they're doing the greatest match of all time. And you've got this one company who have been great throughout this pandemic and are coming back in this what feels like an organic, exciting way. And you've got this other company who are coming across like, they're coming across like the worst, but they also come across as the most manufactured 
inorganic company that has maybe ever promoted wrestling. The greatest match of all time. This is something that apparently Vince and Paul Heyman are behind. And apparently they've taped the greatest match of all time. And they've taped it in case they need to go back and reshoot some of the parts of it and re-edit some of it. That says everything wrong about this company and everything about what is up with this company and about why people can't engage on a proper level with this company anymore because nothing is organic. Nothing feels believable. And this is the ultimate indictment of that, if you ask me. I love Edge. What a terrible comeback this has been. Why did he ever do it? And why did he ever agree to go into a feud with Randy fucking Orton during this? Like, my God. Sorry to change topic there. <laughs> it's all right. No, we were done with you, Japan. I was, to be honest, I was going to rave about how excited I am for GCW coming back this weekend. But that can wait. Uh, I'll rave about that once the show is up. Although, they have announced the second show, JP, the Bring It Back Backyard Wrestling. That's a that's a responsible company. I respect that. I, like, they're not doing any death I matches love- either, to, to our concerns. Last week, the, the, the show that they're coming back with, the uh, the indie show they're doing uh, next Saturday, is it? Um, that show. Uh, but that, the, the 10 p.m. It's 10 p.m. on a Saturday night as well like it's basically like a it's a gcw show but without the death matches and it's you know the fans are supposed to have to bring their own masks and have to mask up they also bring their own chairs which i kind of respect they've all got to stay a distance i mean i probably wouldn't want it happening in england but america haven't been taking this very seriously anyway so that's actually quite by american indie standards that's actually quite responsible and the show looks yeah. great. It looks not great, but it looks like a solid kind of you know GCW indie show, like Blake Christian, Myron Reed, Nick Gage, Spider Nate Webb's on the show, which which tells you that Nick Gage isn't doing death matches when he's in there with Spider Nate Webb. Um, and they've announced they have actually announced a lot of African American wrestlers as well, which I don't think is a is a is a coincidence there um, with the announcement of people like Lee Morality, Morality, uh, James, who was uh, raving about to you, JP, on, uh, yeah, on Match of the Month, yeah. Jay Rose. Uh, people like that on the show as well and yeah their backyard wrestling show perfect time to do that too you know before you start coming back with proper crowds in indoor venues because the comeback next week is in an outdoor venue doing a backyard wrestling show is a no-brainer as well so i've got that to be oh, excited yeah. about too so i'm in a pretty fucking good mood about the wrestling this week it's a shame I to, hope to, to god hope to god they do a rematch of that tony depp and alex zane got it backyard match they had because that was great mm. and Deppen has been good value on social media, Tony mm. Deppen. And like, as a guy who... Oh, we had to go with Linda, had... Linda McMahon, didn't he? He's the only one. One of the yeah. only wrestlers I saw. A lot of wrestlers were jumping down Jackson Riker's throat for his shitty tweet about Trump. Linda McMahon, who actually has the power to do something about this shit, does a shitty treat, tweet about how Trump's boosting the economy in this fucking environment. Radio silence. I know it's your boss, but come on. You know, uh, at well, least yeah. their boss. No, she's no, te- she would splay blind and do the as a completely separate entity, and it's nothing to do with her. And yeah, yeah. only only Tony Deppen had the bollocks to say it back to her. Yep, Fucking says gross. a lot, doesn't it? Mm. Like, JP, and, you and, were a big Gunner fan, weren't you? <laughs> no, I wasn't. You have said this a number of times on this. Well, I was you never... that, like, didn't you have like a dog tags on a? That sounds about right. Gunner yeah, that, I mean that, that does sound like that, but no, I've never been a gunner fan. Um, at all for this. I was gonna say I didn't know whether you were disappointed in somebody you've been a fan of for many years, uh, over the weekend. Oh 
because I learned a very long time ago in the 80s, like really that with wrestlers, that it's probably best off not to kind of idolise them. Even, <laughs> even then you thought, I don't know. I don't know with these lads. They don't seem like they're entirely on the up and up and they might be up to some no good. And by fuck were they on an <laughs> industrial scale. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah, my point was going to be, yeah, New Japan's got me excited. GCW's got me excited. But to your point before, Joe, what hasn't got me excited this week is the World Wrestling. I was going to say World Wrestling Federation. I keep saying that. WWE this week. Um, yeah, we all watched the, we all watched that pay-per-view this weekend, didn't we? We, uh, we all tuned into NXT in your house, which I feel like you should be getting credit for coming up with the idea for, Joe. I don't know if you remember saying it. But on our Retro 97 show, you mentioned something about how, oh yeah, as if they'll do retro shows for, as if they're bringing the, they should go, they should come back and do like in your houses as like retro shows. You definitely mentioned it on our podcast. And I remember Jamesy reply to the podcast on Twitter was talking about, oh yeah, ne- next you'll see like, oh, he said it to me, I think on the Match of the Month podcast. Uh, next you'll see them bringing DX back on uh, on NXT. That kind of happened too. We see the future on the on this podcast network, lads. That's what it is. Well, all I can say, Benno, is clearly there's a few people listening, and clearly that means we're uh, one step closer to getting some sort of libel uh, case against us <laughs> at some point. So, They're coming fuck. Yep. What's his name, yep. Vince's Jer- lawyer? Jerry McDevitt. He's coming. Oh, we're fucked then. But Vince, <laughs> yeah. bad taste in wrestling, clearly he's got great taste in quality audio. Well, it's probably Triple H, isn't it, if it's NXT? But, yeah, bad man, but... Good taste in audio, possibly. I don't remember saying that, but if I did, um, kind of regret it because this was shit. The whole concept was shit. It yeah. wasn't funny. Um, they they can't do humour. They need to stop trying to do humour. Um, jokes work because there's kind of substance, there's a framework, and there's a context to humour. Humour is often plotted as well and usually kind of build to a joke or play off of something. Um, okay, I sort of get why the Todd Pettengill stuff might work for some people. That worked for me. I um, like Todd Pettengill. Adam Cole doing an Ica Pro. Shad. Not funny. Like, just, yeah, Ica Pro. Remember that? Mm. Yeah. Like, this isn't funny. I don't really remember these adverts being a thing. Ice cream bars. Oh, how we love to talk about, hey, ice cream bars, really good fun, man. Yeah, remember the ice cream bars back in the day? Hey, I remember going to the ice cream truck, getting the Hulk Hogan ice cream bar. Cool. I don't. Uh, th- that wasn't funny. Um, and also an Uber turned up in the middle of a match. Not funny. I don't like random humor, personally. Never like the mighty boosh. Too random for me. Um, understand why it works for others. Get the surrealist element of it, but very random. Not a fan of random humor. An Uber just turning up for whatever reason in the middle of the match. Not funny. Not funny at all. Um, anyway, sorry, guys. Over to you. I'm going to go for a piss. <laughs> That's how much Joe is a fan of this. Uh, it really this is. Yeah. It's funny, though, JP, because I would say, like, the idea of doing a nostalgia show, a retro show, based on In Your House, like the B pay per view mm. from the mid 90s, like, that's on its face, on its face, what, 25 years later doing that? You won't. Wrestling is the only culture, I think, where we're so set in the past that, that you yep. get away with that. And to be honest, when they do it, Part of me was like, I did, I enjoyed the Pet and Girl stuff. I didn't mind the staging. 
the rest of it, yeah, the, like Joe said, the humour wasn't really, uh, wasn't for me in general. Um, but it, it, I, I kind of got it because the only people fucking left watching this stuff, like, we're young by, like, to, to be yeah. uh, metrics, aren't we? Like, is it the over 50s who are the, the people who most watch NXT on a Wednesday on uh, on yep. USA Network? Like, to be honest, they know their target audience. And, you know, contrary to kind of what we're going to say, a lot of people I follow on Twitter who will bang into this stuff and bang into them doing retro in your house stuff. I've got a bit. I've got. I've got a soft spot for Todd Pettengill, and I kind of enjoyed that he was back. But like, yeah, you only get away with this shit with wrestling. Like, how? How is this being referenced twenty five years? And now it's going to be an idea they're going to go forward with. Like, it's. Oh yeah. I, I'm tempted to say it shouldn't work, but it did because it kind of did uh, in some ways. Uh, but yeah, again, only wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, I I can kind of see your point, but this for me felt like the real dregs of the takeovers. Mm. Watching this, it was like I was thinking back to takeovers past when they would have, what, five matches, four matches on occasion? And those matches would generally be, talking star rating-wise, you might have one match that could be three stars possibly, but a lot of them are kind of up around four, four and a half, five. But they come out, with the set, which is again, is stuck in the nineties with people whose mindset on wrestling is very much stuck in the nineties. And it, it just feels like the crowd is just a video game crowd that stands there waving their arms, doing chanting and just never really moving, but they don't seem like real human beings. It was like at all. 1997 WWF Warzone. Like, have you ever played that game? Where, like, they had, like, this... It sounded like a... I don't know. It was, like, kind of creepy. Like, this creepy cult doing chants, like, burn in hell, stone cold. It's terrible. It's really bad. It felt like they just took that so and put it in real life. Like, it, it, it reminded me of why I hate when they do the Survivor Series stuff. And it's, like, blue shirt versus red shirt. Because no one's a human being with their own... Like, wrestling characters in the WWE universe don't have like a personality they don't have like like in aw like mjf has his wrestling gear and then when he's ringside he dresses like his character would dress like right down to your joey janellas or you know whoever they dress like like the real person who's that character would dress in wwe though like or or they have to be like faceless avatars wearing branded in your house t-shirts which again is a brand that like on that on that 1997 um, flashback podcast we did joe was talking about being dated in 1997 (laughs) but they're wearing they're wearing those t-shirts and they're just not people and they're just fucking droids just chanting stuff and in the most creepy black mirror way just cheering and booing and doing like the world's saddest you still got a chance like oh so bad Gareth, Gareth said it in, in, in a chat that we were having with him when he just went, this is WWECW. That's what this kind of feels like at this point. That What was this brand at one point? Like the shows they used to put on were like regular highlights on here. And it doesn't feel like there's anyone else they're going to be able to get at this stage. I kind of like wonder at what point, like I can't see the show improving from here. Can you? Can you no. see there being angles or anything else coming out of this where you're kind of excited? Is there a hot young star that you think you're going to go with all the way there? There would have been a point a year ago you would have said someone like Velveteen Dream. And by God, how far his stock has Riddle. in that time. Riddle as well, but he's gone. 
and yeah. like and that's it now and and i think is it dijakovic is there but yeah it's the whole thing rings so hollow across the board all of the feuds do and i'm thinking back to that nxt takeover london show which was a good show. It wasn't like one of the great pay, uh, takeovers, really. Even at the time, it was it was a, it was a good one with some with some very good matches on there. The one but, we were at, yeah, the one we were at. Like, was that 2015? Was it? Yeah, I with um, seven. Joe Baller, was it? I was there too. Me and yeah, Paul it was, yeah, Joe Baller. December 2015. That uh, sadly, right. I didn't know you back then, JP. Otherwise, we could have had a hell of a uh, night at the town in London. Oh yeah, we would have would have done on, on that one. Um, I think that was wasn't that the Progress Christmas Party? If I remember right, they used to always yeah, because you got a picture with Jimmy Avoc out the front, JP. <laughs> different times, mate. Yeah, different times. Right, we're digging, that photo. That photo we're digging that out for the show images. That's going in. Okay. <laughs> Good luck but, finding it. I think it's gone. But it's it's just so dead. And I was thinking of this, and it's just Gargano as. Tommy Dreamer, but the Tommy so Dreamer in WWECW. I fell asleep at the very start of that match. So I was watching, like, I'd enjoyed watching, like, some of the stuff on there, but the moment he appeared, I off to the lander nod I went. And I was like, and I got up in the morning, I went, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to watch him, aren't I? Oh, God, what is that character? What is it? Sorry, <laughs> our thoughts are all over the place on this <laughs> to one. To be fair, like, on that match, like, I... Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa are a big reason why I don't enjoy NXT anymore. And I don't like Adam Cole either. Sorry, I know there's going to be people listening to this who love that stuff. But none of those wrestlers are for me anymore. To be fair though, Johnny Gargano, that's one of my favourite matches on the show. It was fucking stupid. Like, and it was, you know, it was basically a spot fest. But I actually enjoyed this, to be honest. I, I, enjoy, I even really? enjoyed, I even enjoyed Keith Lee pouncing him through the... Um, through the barricade. I know they're going to do that twice a week now for the next six yeah. months. But I actually oh, liked yeah. that match. I thought it was fine. I think I gave it 3.25 on Grapple. Um, maybe I it just turned my brain off for it. It was probably the most, as much as I'd like to slag him off, and I will, Like it was probably the most I've enjoyed Gargano in a while just because I didn't have to use my brain too much for it. Or, I don't know, it wasn't what one of his forced epics where, as the meme goes, he stares at his hands and wonders what evil he's done. Uh, I don't know. I think I kind of enjoyed it because it was that kind of match. I've put my first note of that match is depressing how bad Gargano has been fucked at this point. That's still like, true. I wouldn't deny that. The point they did, the um, who shot Phil Mitchell storyline with um, Tom, <laughs> Tom, what's Tommy End's name? I love that storyline. Um, Alistair Black. Yeah. The minute they did that was the minute this show for me and this brand jumped the shark. They still had good shows afterwards and they still have matches that I've really liked since then but Gargano was the most organic person they had who had an actual connection with the fans and for some reason they decided to just fuck the character and do this weird angle where he suddenly turns heel for no apparent reason mm -hmm. and it's not been the same since then now I was a I, I still think Gargano is a great wrestler I think this is a bad character and I think he's been booked terribly since that point the Champa matches I think the body of the match of most of their matches has been very good I think the ending and the emotional over the top stuff goes too far so people remember that stuff rather than the body of the match which is often good and often made sense but unfortunately they've gone oh this guy can act 
and these people here are getting into this like acting stuff and i just find that this sort of match the gargano keith lee match felt like an agent-led match you know like an agent driven match where the agent was thinking more about the character and what you're conveying in the match as the character rather than like what they are as wrestlers and the type of wrestling match they can have. And I just think that Gargano, I don't know if he's just hung out with Shawn Michaels too much. And he's gone, you're really good at doing what I was doing in uh, that match at WrestleMania 28 when I was a referee. Ah, let's go with that all the time. Yeah. But if that's the case, it's fucked him. And it's not good. Um, and I get, I get doing it on occasion, right? You can get away with it maybe once at a push twice a year. It just became constant. And this kind of like, oh my God, I'm so like torn between shit and I'm going to go mad here. It's just like, <laughs> oh, they managed to get him over enough again with that Adam Cole match that I was out of that takeover. And it was it was a really great moment. I, I know you hated that match, Benno. I thought it was great being there. The atmosphere was amazing for it as well. But it felt like the last six months hadn't happened. But from that moment, his character was dumb. And they've not got it back since. This is a heel versus face match. The dynamic felt completely off. It like Keith That's Lee true. has lots of natural babyface charisma. But when a guy of Gargano's size, who we've been told is an underdog for the past five years, a guy who got over organically because he was a great wrestler, is now put in a position where his character is written by bad writers um, and is led and his matches are led by stupid agents for the most part who are getting themselves off over how good the match of the agent it is it leads to really inorganic wrestling where too many cooks have spoiled the broth put it that way and for me that was exactly what this match was there was stuff in it that i was just like why like that bit with the keys that led nowhere uh, what was the point oh and like, had them down his pants yeah, like, what was the point? It didn't go anywhere. The Candice Mia Yim stuff kind of sucked. Like, I was just, ah. Oh, like, the, the thing is, the both guys, they're not bad wrestlers. I think they're incapable of having what I would call a bad match. Like, they did stuff that was good. But they're at a disadvantage based on the story, the characters, and how obsessed WWE are at putting, I don't know, their fingerprints over stuff and justifying the role of their writers and agents. Yeah, it was... It wasn't good, if you ask me. Fair enough. Like, I don't disagree with, like, the broad strokes kind of Gargano overplay. I, I would say, like, we blame the, the agents, and we should. You know, it's the impact of Sean and Triple H, but it's just who Johnny Gargano is right now. And I don't I don't doubt that there's a very good wrestler underneath. There was a point where I thought, once Sami Zayn had moved up to the main roster, I thought Johnny Gargano was the best underdog babyface in wrestling. I almost he was it... for a bit, I think, the best person. Yeah. In the, I think he was the best wrestler in the company. And I think wow. no one connected with the crowd like he did. Yeah. I think he exceeded what Sami Zayn was at NXT easily. And he could have done even better. It was just, yeah, he got sidetracked by all this stuff. Um, yeah, to be honest, maybe it's because I'm not invested in the product. And I, kind of, I can see your point about, yeah, he's supposed to be the heel and... You know, it was the, the the one criticism I can see is, you know, they do, despite the ridiculous size difference, it was just two lads going back and forth doing moves for a lot of the match. Um, but maybe yeah. because I had low expectations, I enjoyed it being two lads going back and forth and doing, doing moves. What do you give it on, on Grapple, JP? Were you a. Were you a uh... oh, I, 
I went three point two five, and I sort oh, of right, mirror so a lot of these, that. a lot of these thoughts. But then again, Johnny Gargano versus Keith Lee on a show where you're thinking you're kind of doing a a, a blow off to a feud, and you're doing three point two five stars, which I know in the whole star rating thing, it seems ridiculous. And again, sorry to go back to it on previous takeovers. That's that's like effectively an average match, and like good parts to it. I don't think it was it was bad, like Joe said, but it just gets ruined because they're not going out there to just have a match and the best match they could do, and this is the finish. Mm. They have to complicate it with shite mm. because they can't keep their hands out of it and they need to be in control of it because they're control freakery. Mm. It feels so, like there's more main roster stench on this. Sorry, JP. There is. There is more main roster stench on this. Like, there is... There is stuff for this where it got very, very gimmicky very early on when they're in there. Remember, they're having ladder matches every week and the rest of it. Mm. And even though the fight pit was kind of like like a highlight, that's pretty much been one of the few highlights and what is really just a downward trajectory for for the brand. He sacrificed it are... to kill off AEW, didn't he? That's all. That's he it. He did sacrifice the one he good did. thing they've got. It shows a little respect they had for it. It shows exactly what their modus operandi is as a company. Paranoid idiots who think they have a monopoly over the industry. So they're willing to sacrifice and put to the dogs the best thing in the company in years, brand-wise, in order to try and, I don't know, destabilize an upstart company that ultimately they could see as healthy competition that might actually give them a kick up the arse so they reconsider and reevaluate the way that they kind of run things and the structures within the company but unfortunately they've not done that unfortunately they've doubled down and they've made this a lot worse and like there was a bit where i saw the road dog with triple h sure the computer skit (laughs) all right like i sort of get like triple h and sean michaels but the road dog was like like nowhere near the same like level like mm. what, what's going on here like why is he all over this and you know what sounds... the road dog has a history of writing and booking bad wrestling he's not very good and i feel like he is all over this product at this point as well and that is to its detriment because has nxt got worse since he started hanging around the project project hanging around the product absolutely it has i've not been invested since early 2018 like and that that predates the usa network stuff i think that that that, that there was a stench on it already but that was maybe just me maybe i was just i think that was when the road dog went he went there around that time because he transferred out of smackdown because of uh pressures from vince oh yeah i remember that yeah yeah and uh after he spent his entire life defending vince on uh on social media ah poor road dog um, no, nah, I don't. I have no sympathy for the road dog. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's weird NXT because like I do still see. Like I was saying to JP while he went for a piss, there are people out there who love this show. Who look like I can't say the nostalgia didn't work was I saw so many people who were into the nostalgia, which kind of speaks to the fucking captive audience you've got with wrestling these days because we all get the reference when you, we shouldn't be getting the reference about a B pay-per-view from 25 years ago. Um, but you see people who love this stuff still. And, you know, there are matches that that, like, that I get why. Like, I thought Ballad Damien Priest was a good match. Like, I, I oh, enjoyed yeah. that on yeah, the show. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah. Not just for the fucking horrible back bump that Damien Priest took. Mm. Rick Rude-esque, wasn't it? Um, 
on yeah. his lower back. That fucking I've had some lower back problems this week from uh, from running. I, I went and too, he, went he's hard not a young lad time. either. Oh, and he's not. No, yeah, the two of them aren't JP. Like I was, I was laughing about that. Like this is the cool young hip brand doing a retro show from twenty five years ago with two almost forty year olds having the best match on the card. Uh, kind of scary, isn't it? Like I think he's big priest thirty eight and Ballas thirty nine, or the other way around. Like wow, yeah, he hasn't. Uh, he's one like priest. Yeah, that's a that's a late age to be on the developmental brand but it's not a it's not a brand anymore actually jp it's not developmental anymore it's a it's a proper brand they're on the usa network but it's uh it's main roster yeah. it's yeah. wwe cw i would say much. with this i i really enjoyed it i enjoyed him when he was punishment martinez do you remember he had a never Same. title match with um goto yeah it was in that Japan. Was good that's good and fun. that was really good and then you thought are they going to do something with him? And it just never happened in Ring of Honor. They never re- I think they put the TV title on him, maybe, but they never really did enough with him. He had a good match of Ishii on. Um, oh, it was on a Ring of Honor show in the US. I, I think. Remember that. I remember yeah, that. that was a really good fun as well. Mm. And, he's he's and had a late he, resurgence. I need to be fair to him, JP. He's still a young lad, thirty-eight. Not even that old. Come on. He's so agile, <laughs> and like he absolutely worked his ass off here. True. And I think he got that. He got like that's the best again that I've seen Bala for quite some time, mm. and it kind of made me care about him this in this match. And it just unfortunately does also shadow how far he's fallen when he's in the second match on an NXT takeover. I'll probably video be in the game main event on the next one though. Or I I, think, uh, it seems like they go the way direction of him and Cole seemed like the natural kind of way they might go to. I think they might try and pop a TV rating by doing that as a TV main event at some point. Yeah, possibly for it. But this was, yeah, I I thought this was this was very good. I went three and a half for it, which I Same also again. went three and a half on the main as well. But actually, and I know the last one was 3.25. I, I suppose for this, I was prepared not to like this at all because I just thought they've probably ruined Punishment Martinez as Judas Priest, and I'm not a fan of Bala. Judas Priest. Judas Priest. <laughs> Damian breaking the Priest. law, mate. Fucking hell, yes. <laughs> now we know what the right. outro is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good song. Good, great video. Onyx and Biohazard yeah, I... to intro. That's the outro sorted. Come. <laughs> when you've got a, a show, of, uh, sorry, a three and a half star match, the best match of an NXT TakeOver, though. Like There have been NXT TakeOvers where no matches have scored three and a half. They've all done above that. And I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of rights. Yes, star rating snobbery. Um, but yeah, the bar has been set quite low now. And to me, this sort of is endemic of how this has kind of fallen as a brand, if anything. And it, it was a good match. I did, I did enjoy it. But the fact that you've got a couple of lads in their late thirties on what is meant to be like the, the hip cool brand yeah. resting the best match of the card sort of says a lot. And you know what? Priest, I think good i've kind of always had a soft spot for him um i think i compared um i think i said that he was a better wrestler than jay white on a podcast after the Tokyo <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. and it caused quite a lot of controversy <laughs> tell you what i enjoyed this far more than i've enjoyed any jay white matches earlier this year and i've only seen a couple and you know what i've just realized that jay white is in the new japan cup get the fuck <laughs> in that is great news no wonder i i really like that lineup when i no saw it i just realized that no, no, Farley. No, no, none of the Tongans. Jay White must be uh, having a good time putting his feet up in New Zealand. And, you know, they're, they're out of lockdown now, aren't they, New Zealand? It's all getting yeah. back to life there. So 
I hope he's all right, but I don't want to watch him wrestle anytime soon. I've been enjoying the break from him. Give me more punishment, Martinez. But my thought was punishment of Damian Priest in the wrong company. I'd, I'd like to see him oh, in AEW. Yeah. I think him and Lance Archer would make for a cracking big tag t- big man tag team in AEW. Imagine them as a pair of hosses going in there you, kicking some you, ass. You skyscrapers. I know you, you love them, don't you, JP? Oh, yeah. Spivey and Sid. Yeah. Simpler times. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Maybe we, to be fair, we, we planned on burying this show. We've just we've just been putting something over. I think what people really came for here is the ones of the day is talk about Adam Cole and uh, and Velveteen Dream. I mean, awful. <laughs> should we get into that? Uh, Velveteen Dream, by the way, you had if... very serious allegations of um, sending images mm. to a fifteen-year-old on Instagram, including images that he admitted himself were him. And also a, a voice note that was also definitely him. If you listen to that voice note, nothing's ever came up. Like they've not. You would think they'd like be get a bit more out in front. They kind of just hoped it would get brushed under the carpet and go away. I feel I feel weird watching him without. I mean, there's always that small percentage chance that he was innocent and he was hacked as he claimed. But I've never I've not seen them actually properly addressed it at any point. Have I missed it, JP? Like, is, are we just all supposed to pretend it didn't happen? I thought the same thing, and the kind of story disappeared, which kind of I just thought, well, maybe the charges have been dropped and there's not much to it. And then it seemed to have been brought up around this. And it was like, oh, so this hasn't gone then. This is just no one's mentioning it in the slightest. Odd, odd. Um, Yeah, it was a very weird. And as with all stories, I'm kind of very cautious. And I kind of go, right, I want to hear what the facts of the case are and stuff coming out. But it just never even really addressed it, felt like. No. And so it sort of disappeared into the ether, really. It could have been the timing of it. Was it around the same time that things were kicking off pandemic-wise yep. and yeah. it just slipped through the cracks? There's a lot yep. of stories like that that happen around, you know, all over the world. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, match. speaking of crimes that uh, Velveteen Dreams committed... Uh... <laughs> Mate, it's absolute shit. This match. What the fuck was this? Like, first of all, I've got to say... Um, the first thing I thought when I saw this was like, okay, so I'm thinking Finley Regal in WCW, that you know, yeah. like pop rule they have, right? And they're not Finley or Regal in terms of being like like blokes, I suppose, in the sort of old-fashioned sense in terms of what they're going to do. And that was a bad idea anyway. Didn't they both get really fucked up doing that, yep. for, rightly? And I'm thinking, right, okay, so... We're on like a back lot at like Universal or Disney or somewhere here. They've obviously hired it. And then I'm looking at all these cars around and then they're having a street fight on the streets. Like having that street fight on those streets after the week or the 10 day period that we just had in America. Like, come on. Like, is this not completely tone deaf? And does this not completely show you that WWE do not care about what goes on in the real world. Because I was watching this, and all I could think of, and all I was being reminded of, was what was going on in the real world. And aren't WWE meant to be this, like, escapist product? Because this was not escapism. This just reminded me of some of the terrible things that I'd seen in horrible videos. Um, uh, You know, crimes committed by the police, basically. They did an angle with the police on Raw the other week, or SmackDown with Jeff Hardy. Like, they literally had him get arrested outside 
Like they basically did a police brutality angle. This company doesn't care. Oh wow! Like inhumane acts that are going in the real world. I was being reminded of here, right? As soon as the fire extinguisher came out, all I thought of was the tear gas that cleared the protesters outside that church, which led to the path for Trump to come and hold up a fucking bible of all things to show that he was the president of law and order and i was like right okay is this some subtle allusion to that obviously it's not they've got no idea of what depth is or subtlety so no it wasn't but it was on my mind watching this and Mm -hmm. that should not be on my mind when i'm watching this they should have cancelled this match and just in a regular match and actually understood how people were feeling and you know what We were talking about New Japan coming back and how excited we are. One of the reasons why is New Japan give a shit about their fans and they respect wrestling fans. They don't treat them like fucking idiots and they don't treat them like they're their, I don't know, children. And Vince's idea of parenting seems to be outdated, put it that way. I don't know, get the magic fucking slipper out or take the belt off and give you a good ass whipping ass. Well, he likes to get all his lads in line, isn't it? Um, That's what he got, didn't he? Oh, probably. And to me, this was just reinforcing stuff I didn't want to see. And then you had that stupid thing with a fucking Uber in there. Like, the humour on this show, I was thinking, like, AW, the reason they get humour is because the guys who are executing the humour are kind of plotting it themselves and they're doing it in a way that is realistic and believable as to their characters. When Chris Jericho did a, that, you know, VAR thing for American football with Aubrey Ed- Edwards, kind of funny. People understood that, you know, that goes on in an NFL game. People also understand that Chris Jericho is petty and a bit of a wanker as his character, right? So it works as a piece of humour and it's related to his character in some way. An Uber turned up in the middle of the match. It's not funny. Oh, it's, it's a taxi. I order a taxi sometimes. Yeah, do you? Cool. <laughs> like, like, this is writer-focused and writer-led humour. It's the writers justifying their jobs, whereas the wrestlers, if there's going to be humour, when wrestlers have input on humour, it usually works, doesn't it? WWE don't realise that, and that's a massive fucking shame. What they did in the ring, it was just there. Like, Undisputed Era turned up in a car? Cool. And then, to make this even fucking worse, I'm reminded of one of the worst characters that I've ever seen in wrestling, ever. And that I used to think, what the fuck is this bloke? Why is he wearing this stupid glove? And that was Samuel fucking Shaw. Oh, it's full Dexter his name now, right? He's Dexter. He literally called him Dexter. Like, it's Dexter that on the Loomis. nose. It's that on the nose. And I think is the Loomis like, is after... from Halloween. Like, I'll, I'll be honest, I never watched Dexter, the TV show. Is that as a result of that show? Or what's this yeah. show? He is literally Dexter, the character, everything about him. That's what he's doing. He's doing Dexter. Like He dresses because like Dexter, him. He does everything like Dexter him. Dexter was played by, um, oh, what's his name from Six Feet Under? Michael C. Hall, right? Yeah, that's yes. right, yeah. Right. What an excellent actor Michael C. Hall is. <laughs> I guess. What the fuck is this? <laughs> like, and all I was thinking of is, oh, is he doing this kidnapping bollocks again, is he? Yep. Like, I, had to watch, I can't say I was watching TNA regularly, but I remember seeing this Christy Hemi storyline that yeah. was creepy as fuck and was kind of, to me, an indictment of why TNA was utter shit because it pushed shit wrestlers and gave them shit storylines. Calm story down, JP, it's okay. Calm down, mate. I cannot. I'm not. You're not going to find me as a Samuel Shaw defender. Back <laughs> on, Joe. Oh, of all the people to get to do with me, I never expected Sam Shaw to be one. That's I... when you know there's no one else out in the indies. That's yeah. when you know. 
And to make him front and centre of this match, and to be like, and this this brand has fallen, and it's fallen even further now that they're doing a storyline with Samuel Shaw. Like, what the fuck? This match was bad. They wasted whatever money they spent hiring a back lot. Um, they made they inconvenienced whatever workers on that back lot, either Universal or Disney, had to open up that day and help them set this shite up. What a waste of everyone's time this was. This this was just bad. It was embarrassing and it was humorless and it was in bad taste. I've not seen or heard enough people talking about the bad taste that this was executed in. I was kind of amazed. I listened to Meltzer and Alvarez review this because Dave's been talking a lot on there about what's been going on in the real world. And they didn't mention like, oh, they didn't seem to be reminded of people fighting on streets. That's Big, going on a lot right now. Bunch of white lads beating world. up a black lad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People getting out of a car, like Undisputed Era getting out of a car, you know. It was just like, ah, oh, this is just not not what is right for this moment in time. If anyone's considering watching this show, don't bother. And if, you consider, if you're going to watch the show and skip anything, just skip this. Because this was bad. This was really, really bad. And it was pre-taped, no? Yep. That's yeah. another one. Another pre-taped match they fucked up. They can edit this. Not only can you choose who wins, but you get to actually do it. And get to do stuff over again, and they put this oh, together. Did. And they, they did, went. Though. There was a the point, best... JP. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There was a point where like Moro was commentating over the wrong match. Did you spot that? There's like a near fall where Adam Cole there is. is the one getting pinned, and the yeah. commentary's talking like he's got the pin. They clearly made edits. I think they knew this was shite because otherwise this goes on last. I feel like they had at least that level of like understanding, JP. Why isn't it ten minutes then? Mm, true. If it's shit. If you've got a shit film, it tends to be butchered in the editing room so you can get more screenings on it out of it out of the day. So you can put mm. it down to 90 minutes. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's quite often what it does. If you're looking to bury a film, that's what you would do. That's what should have happened here. Instead, and, and not enough is made of the fact that we, we talk a lot about Vince, but Kevin Dunn and the production. My God, is there another man who is completely out of date? And he's probably pushing the in-your-house stuff as well, isn't he? Because he's of that mindset. But from a production perspective, there's a kind of overall lack of creativity about what to do with with these kind of matches. They've done how many of these cinematic matches now? I want to say about five, six, maybe. And there's one that sticks with me. Yeah. In, in, a, in a good way. And that's because I was laughing at it. And it's not really necessarily the match. Oh, but that's the Undertaker, Undertaker AJ. It was, it was good. good. It was great fun. I've no issue with that at all. But my God, like you we'll know, give, we'll give Jeremy Boras the credit for that one. Yeah, the rest of them have been in the have been in the shit. Mm. AEW, you talked about like kind of the problematic elements, and obviously it was brought about Shad Gaspard at the time in the drowning. Mm. But like, and I must admit, Joe, I hadn't like kind of truly registered that way because I was just kind of thinking of how awful this is and how bad velveteen dream is generally and how far that character has fallen and how cole you know in front of those crowds really hot property he may not be for us but you could see that there was the kind of connection there and you've you've seen him live joe and you've been in those crowds and you've seen what it's like at the kind of takeovers and the reactions to it. So you kind of go there is that kind of star potential but that feels like it's waning waning very like kind of very badly but it's waning as the brand falls and i don't think it's his fault 
I think it's the fault of the brand and what they've done with the brand. They've yeah. mistreated the brand. The brand's lost its identity. It, this this is a brand with an identity crisis right now. It doesn't know what it is anymore. And for the longest time, it's had a really clear identity. It's and exactly what it is. To me, they're pushing the wrong wrestlers now. Um, they haven't refreshed the roster. Undisputed Era... If this product, sorry, if this company were truly open-minded, they'd have gone up six months to a year ago and they'd done a storyline with them where they introduced them in kind of a dramatic fashion and kind of... The Shield. Got them over. Yeah, gone, yeah. Shield Not the same. Gone, sorry, different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, never going to happen because look at the size of Adam Cole. Um, do you think Vince is going to take a second look at Bobby Fish or Kyle O'Reilly? He's going to see Bobby Fish's age and go, no. Uh, yeah, the problem is there is no upward kind of trajectory for a lot of these guys on this roster yeah. they're stuck there a lot of them don't want to go a lot of them are scared to go to that main roster i get that gargano I and champa remember when they went on I, yeah i completely get where they're coming from look at what ricochet has become True. As a, and there's others i can mention as well like you know i've heard that alistair black is getting over cool good on him don't care okay <laughs> riddle is on smackdown now okay um, I love Matt Riddle. I think that he has all the potential in the world. But unfortunately, the meatheads who should be seeing there's a match in there with this guy who's got all the charisma in the world have gone, nah, he's not a guy that I can talk about steak with in the gym or I can pretend that I'm a really badass fighter with even though I've never had a fight in my life while I'm talking to other fighters in a gym that I own. So I'm not going to have a match of him. I'm going to pretend to get annoyed by this guy calling me out because I'm a meathead and I've got to protect my own fucking machismo. And I'm just going to carry on like not giving this guy the time of day, trying to connect with him on any level or working out what works for him because he's not a version of me and I don't want to see him as someone that could possibly get over because I don't like that. And, you know, fuck Brock Lesnar and fuck Bill Goldberg. Go and eat your fucking steaks and do what you fucking want to do, lifting your fucking iron and pretending that you're going to fight at some point when you're clearly not going to. Instead, actually think about what Matt Riddle is. Listen to Heyman, possibly, because he seems to quite like him, apparently. Have a match with him at some point. Put him the fuck over because he's the best opportunity that you've got for a proper feud and a proper match that will be class. And if if they consider him, if they can see that and have an open mind about him, they've got a future star there. But I fear for him on that main roster. And I hope he carries on using his great sense of humor to get himself through over the next 18 months or so. I mean, he comes out of contract. He comes to the good side. He hooks up with big tone. He goes out under piss with big tone. Probably not the piss. Probably, you know, a couple of cheeky joints. And they talk about how to get Matt Riddle over an AEW because he's a fucking star and he should be a star now. <laughs> and I don't know how I've turned it into Matt Riddle. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Perfectly fine with me. <laughs> to, um, to go to your point about NXT being in stasis, like, I don't think... It, I've heard a lot of high praise for the main event. It, well, I, I just wasn't really invested in it, so I'm probably going to... It was a, a WWE triple threat match. Yeah. yeah. But, like, yeah. Lots of them. they didn't go heavy-handed on it, but to hear them talk about all oh, the women in main eventing, like, for me, it was like, remember when they went what? heavy-handed with this? They, they, remember, remember when they did this last time? You know how long ago it was, Joe? 
five years ago. <laughs> That's how 2015 was the last time they made a event of the takeover with the women, and that was apparently groundbreaking. So yeah, this ground's well being uh, broken here in the, in 2020. We're definitely not going to get a, another five years with with that not happening. Uh, but the fact that that was five five years ago blows my mind. The fact that Sami Zayn and um, Adrian Neville was in 2014, like basically six years ago at this point, like. That that is the a big part of the problem. It is such a stale brand, and like that's what happens when there is, like you say, there's nowhere to go. When when your Johnny Gargano's and your Tommaso Champers get called up and then get sent back down immediately because they were gonna fucking die on that main roster. When like you said, Adam Cole. I'm sorry if you're a fan of Adam Cole. I've never been a fan of Adam Cole, and unfortunately, until he dies, Vince McMahon's not gonna be a fan of a hundred pound man who's four foot tall. Adam Cole's never making it to the main roster either. Like when that's the reality. And when the people who do make it, like Riddle, like you said there, like impassioned uh, with Riddle, when that's the case, the entire point of this brand being revolutionary, we're going to change the world. We are NXT. Like, even, like, the most optimistic person can't buy into it at that point because they haven't changed any world. And that kind of goes by this main event too. Like, yeah, it, yeah, you, you did uh, allegedly change the world in 2015 and here we are five years later and it's still special that the women have made events in your show. You haven't changed fucking anything. Oh, the commentary was bad during this as well. Oh, Beth Phoenix off. loves to bang on about like the revolution and Sheesh, power shit. being transferred to women. It's like... Nigel Satoromian. Oh yeah, I know. But it's like, didn't this happen like years ago? Like you're still going on about this. Like it's pretty well established that this is a thing and it's like just normalized moving to main event. And I think it's kind of patronizing to the women that they still go down this road, where they've yeah. got to say this stuff. I get why they said it in 2015. It was new. It was different. It was refreshing and it was good as well. But this is, this should be just normalized now. It should just be what it is, but because they're so like, we've got to boast, we've got to like put over our achievements and they get stuck on these points. They've still got to carry on doing it now. Like, can someone point out to them that like, this is a thing that's very much been normalized and like, well, we don't need this shoved down our throats anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I, on the point I of the commentary, up... how bad was Moro? Like this, this was, yeah. I zone him out. Fucking shit. Like, I, 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 like my take on him is like okay he's not he's 100% not the worst commentator of all time but to me he's the worst commentator that people think is is great of all time and I don't deny that he was good when he was on Access and he was good when he first got to WWE when he was doing those early Smackdowns until he got bullied out of the company and he was good in those early NXTs until he came this fucking meme generating rap lyric fucking encyclopedia reading his notes like just to, to to get he's getting his shit in. He's every bad indie work you've ever seen. Yeah. He's so fucking bad. To the point you're right, Joe, I do tend to zone him out a little bit, but it's hard when he's going at that same pace and that same fucking shouty like I don't get it. Like all of the all of the big media personalities in wrestling still seem to think he's this great commentator. Oh. He still comes second in like the Observer, but he always loses to Kevin Kelly. But he still does well in those polls. I think this year was the worst he's done. I think he was like sixth or something like that. I'm not on an island here, am I? He's fucking terrible. Like I'd rather like he's... furloughed him than fucking Nigel. He he has always kind of been like this because I watched the matches on Waiting's uh, YouTube channel, and it was a match that he found when TSN. Well, that we're doing uh, had Noah and him and Dan Lavransky do a uh, commentary for the 
Junakiyama versus is it Noah Departure? Is that the first one they do in 2004? I've seen some of these. The Kabashi match. Yeah. Yeah, the Kabashi Akiyama. And they do the commentary for that, and I watched it. Um, I think I'd heard um, that when uh, WH and and John Pollock were doing the uh, history of Noah, and they were talking around it, and I I had listened to it. And it didn't grate on me as much because he's actually more serious and more focused. He kind of gets his shit in at the start and then kind of he doesn't go so OTT. But I think he's being kind of produced and kind of told to do it this way as much. And he's embracing it. So it's all like it's awful. And I'm like, you guys, I just don't hear it. It's like Tom Phillips. I don't know if I've ever heard his commentary really (laughs) at this point. I don't know if I've ever really like. I can't remember anything he's ever said. The one thing I remember about Tom Phillips is a sext he sent to someone. I remember that. Oh, on a plane? Yeah, he talks about fucking their throat or something. Yeah. (laughs) Filthy Tom Lawler likes to make some jokes about it every once in a while. Patrick Bateman. It is. It is a bit Bateman-esque. But, you know, consenting adults, whatever. But, like, that's the only thing I bloody remember about him. I don't remember his commentary. I don't remember his work. Like, it's... And also, I, I was thinking he was about there. This, they're banging on about the women, and he was like, "What was the, one of the best pay-per-views they've put on in recent years?" Oh, Evolu- yeah. Evolution, Evolution. very good. Yeah. What, whatever happened to a follow-up to that? And we're not three women's wrestling fans here, by the way. Maybe UJP, but we're not people who are gonna, you know, overrate a, uh, you know women's wrestling. That was a genuinely good pay-per-view. Like that was well, genuinely they've had good. The best, they've, they've had the best women's wrestlers, and probably the best women's wrestling that I've seen in the Western world. I don't watch any Japanese women's wrestling, so I can't comment. But like from what I've seen on indie shows in in AEW, like WWE have always been pretty good at promoting women's wrestlers, and I've always pushed quite good women's wrestlers. I've always been into the women's stuff in WWE, and I've watched it. It's been one of the only things that I've watched pay-per-views that I've often watched and often had an interest in. But they they won't allow it to be normalised. They've got to tell us that it's really special five yeah. years later, and it's that that is patronising and is unfair to those female workers in the company. Because Io Shirai, for my money, is one of the absolute best wrestlers in that company. Yes, she I is. think Charlotte's great. I think Rhea Ripley's got all the potential in the world. I think the women in the main event are three really good workers. I didn't care for the match because it. I've seen that match a million times. It was just one of those standard WWE triple threat matches and yeah that's what it was i wasn't invested it was just kind of there if i'm honest with you um but yeah as a brand it's kind of jumped the shark at this point it needs some serious re-evaluation and it's a shame that they decided to sabotage it because they're so ardent in their belief that they should have a monopoly on wrestling and no one else should be allowed to promote wrestling and it's just theirs can't argue. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, were you any higher on the main JP? What do you give it on Grapple? I gave it a gentleman's three because I just wasn't into it. But I've seen the average is 3.83. People did enjoy this. Like. Three and a half. And it's yeah, primarily, like prim- primarily I- Io Shirai. And Io Shirai, I thought, did a really good job. I think the, the issue with Charlotte Flair is she's very overexposed. Like, and for me, in terms of storylines, like, the, the storylines that she should be in, the kind of big angles should be the, the kind of your big Becky angle, your big Sasha Banks angle. I don't know what Rhea Ripley's getting out of this. And I like Rhea Ripley. I think Rhea Ripley's got a lot about her. I agree with Joe. Like, all three of them as workers, I like. I hated this finish. 
it kind of reminded me in some way of the to a certain degree that that sort of spud finish it wasn't the same obviously but the idea that uh, when know, they do something once mate i know <laughs> and that's and that's them down to down to, we'd saying about all of the things that they've done they kind of cry wolf about and go on about so much that we don't hear it anymore it's just like all right i'm watching this show i've enjoyed takeovers in the past and this is a main event fine for the empty arena era yeah quite good anything memorable no will i remember really anything from this match no other than eo shirai's one what do they do next i'll be waiting for how they ruin her yeah she's got a good look i like she reminds oh, me yeah. of rogue in x-men in that suit yeah she's she's an absolute class act but yeah three and a half and for your takeover main events now nah. Yeah, you probably want more, don't you? Um, you do I, I, want didn't, more. I didn't hate the finish. I thought it was quite a creative way of, if you do want to get out of uh, beating Charlotte, I suppose that's your way. Uh, although that fucking she, like, she, moon sorry on the head was horrific. Like, that was uh, yeah. horrible. Uh, I was very, very worried uh, for Rhea Ripley. Um, yeah, I think, well, maybe, what were you going to say, Joe? Uh, Isn't Rhea Ripley the person that should be getting protected. the push right now, though? She's like, not I a was player, a bit though, like... mate. She's not a flare. Yeah, well, Charlotte wasn't called Flair for a long time, was she? <laughs> yeah, she wasn't a Flair. Remember right? that? I was going to say Why as well. Why called Charlotte? It's not even her fucking name. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of bored of the presentation of her. Yeah. Every time I hear the theme, I kind of almost feel like I zone out from that. She feels like and, she's been around that, for like 15 years, doesn't she, at this point? It, it really does, and it doesn't feel like, like you're looking for the kind of big meaty storyline that you can get your kind of hooks into and it and it's just not there it's just i'm charlotte fair i'm great and that's pretty much it and then she takes on someone and then ultimately they're always looking to push her above anybody else but i've, I've, I've got to ask because you mentioned that jp have you did you see any of the spud stuff uh, joe the, with triple h uh, coming out and uh, being the proud dad giving him mm. a hug Giving him his contract. He, you know, he, I didn't. Unlike all the other lads we sacked, he actually worked hard and he got his contract back as the moral of the story. Uh, fucking hell, that was hard to take. That was just ugh, sick in your mouth type stuff. I haven't seen it because I couldn't bring myself to watch. I saw the YouTube clip no. like come up on my YouTube recommended and I was like, I'm not oh, watching that. Fuck gross. that. I spoke to JP about it when we went on our uh, 10 mile walk on Friday and it sounded like everything I hate about this company and it sounded like every kind of reason that, you know, this company is only interested in the company and it's all about proving yourself and grabbing something and who knows what the fuck that is and we can put you through hell and turmoil for you to i don't know make a living on our dime basically yeah it sounded it sounded horrible it's and ah, oh, just the kind of like emptiness of like them not understanding it and thinking it's this great moment this guy earned his contract so i don't know um let me think of someone else who was released zach Ryder. Hmm. He got himself over, right? He did some like good stuff over the years. I don't think he was ever bad by any means, but did he not do enough to earn this moment and to get his contract? Uh, the message it sends is all kinds of wrong, if you ask me. Yeah, it's, it's backward. Gross. Whole thing's gross. 
Um, Rusev, yeah, that's another one. The, yeah, but to be honest, people fall for it. It's like, you know, I don't think we're going to... What we're saying about this NXT show is going to be the consensus. And I don't think we're going to be the consensus on the Spud story because I literally, like, they post a video of it on their Facebook or on Instagram or on their Twitter and there's people going, oh, what a great story. Congratulations, Spud, you did it. And there's literally wrestlers doing that as well. Like, Jim really, Smallman posted. Oh, uh, no, I think Glenn Joseph has. Um, I'll find out. <laughs> but, like, it, it's what it's just. I'm bored of saying whether this is a work or a shoot. I still think it was a shoot up until it became a work, which would, I would guess, he was given a contract the night of. I, I feel like, we're, I feel like, obviously, Triple H coming out and giving him a contract isn't a, isn't a shoot, but I feel like they, they pulled him aside and maybe on the night or on another night. And he's had his contract. But I do think this started with the gross real-life story of they sacked the fella and then they brought him back and they made him work. And then while 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 he was there, they, they created this alleged heart, heartbreaking story that, to be honest, people have been buying into, which, I don't know, maybe we're just mm. too jaded. Or maybe we're just And right. you know what? Fair, if that's what he wants and he's got what he wants, fair play to him. Yeah. Do I like it? No. Do I respect him? Yeah, I do. But I hate the company and I hate the way they've gone about this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so needless. Like, yeah. to, to, like, I agree with you. I think they fired him and they saw the reaction. They thought, we can do an, we can do an angler. It's classic, isn't it? It's classic them. It's what they've always done in their history. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And I don't blame him because, you know, while he is married now, he, you know, he's a, he's a Brit abroad in America. I'm sure it, it helps out with his visa or whatever. Um, but yeah, the company's just gross. Um, any other thoughts on that, or on the? I suppose the other two matches on Takeover, anything on the Champa match or the women's six man, uh, or should we move on? Uh, the the Champa match, I, I, the only time I've liked Killer Cross was in that match with Davy Boy Smith at Bloodsport mm. on a on a Mania weekend. This character is just awful. I found the match. I, I just find him quite dull. He's not particularly exciting in the ring. He's got a look and the presence and other stuff like that, which they've kind of ruined because they're obsessed with the performative. It's why Rhea Ripley does those big stomps inexplicably. It's why I found, like, in the opening match, people were turning around to the hard cam and screaming every fucking time they got a move in. And I was just, like, seeing it again and again and again. And it's kind of the nadir with this carrion cross which is, it's a dumb name. What's Carrion? I don't know. I don't Not know what killer. it is at all. Not Killer, yeah, basically. So Carrion's a better name than Killer. <laughs> killer uh, Carrion. Did yeah. Killer Kelly be Killer Kelly? I don't get why well, he can't be Killer Cross. Uh, NXT UK, mate, she didn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's, uh, uh, that match, JP, I was like, this feels like someone off the main roster. Like, it felt like they were setting him up for Lesnar when he did the F5. I was like, so are they planting this here to set him up for Lesnar down the line? And if they look at this guy and go, this is a great opponent for Brock Lesnar, and they look at Riddle and don't think that, that's everything with the company that's just completely summarised oh, yeah. right there. Like, this guy is shit. I'm just going to say it outright. And if they're going to push him and they think he's the answer to getting, I don't know, winning the Wednesday Night War... They've got no fucking clue. They've got no idea. And, yeah, whatever. It's, it, to me, it's just a sign of how far they've fallen. By all accounts, they're set at him and Keith Lee next. And I fear that he's going to go over Keith Lee. 
because what he is is he's a look. That's what he is. He's a look. But when a match he's happens, an he's an entrance. And at the minute, the entrance to this, it's bad. The lip syncing oh, is I hate shit. It. I hate it. It's awful. It's awful. And they were, and I don't know what it's something and pray. At the minute, eat love seems to come into my head rather than what his actual catchphrase is. <laughs> um, but like, and they were chanting it in that zombie way that that crowd does because clearly they've probably been there for 15 hours and it's like this is kind of like a wrestling version of hell this isn't it <laughs> do you know what that plexiglass reminded me of oh god so i was thinking oh they've been stuck behind this plexiglass for a while it must be quite tough behind there and then i thought of uncut gems and that final scene of them when <laughs> when uh the celtics are playing mm. and sandler's got them like henchmen stuck behind that plexiglass i was like Ah, oh, be interesting if it becomes like a brawl, like Uncut Gems or something. They get out of the plexiglass. But then I was like, oh, what a great film. What a shit show Me? this is. I never finished <laughs> yeah. it. I got too stressed out. I couldn't finish it. I watched oh, like, the first so good. 45 minutes and it was like I was just having a horrible time. And I thought, I'll come back to this. And I've never been in the mood to come back to it. Don't worry about the spoiler. When did That's you fine. start it? When this did you was, watch it? Literally when it first went onto Netflix. So when was this? Like around ah. Christmas time? Because it's not, it's definitely not a lockdown film because mm. of that anxiety. Because mm. it, yeah, it is an anxiety yeah. fucking nightmare that film. But what a film! Mm. What a film! Mm. Beno, go back at some point when you're feeling oh, all yeah. right. Oh yeah, it wasn't a slight either. It was like this is so good at doing the anxiety that I'm feeling anxious and I can't watch it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Get but that. I'll go back and watch it. That's the Safdine brothers, though, isn't it? Mm. Oh yeah. On NXT, um, I've just had a look at Jim Smallman's. I've not quite got to last Wednesday yet, but. Just so you know, there's some stuff going on NXT UK and um, BT Sport, 10 p.m. last week, at a show where we could have witnessed the rise of Gallus (laughs) and some of the best big matches the brand has seen. Dive in, people, die. And uh, the tagline is a quote from Gallus that says, It's ours. It's still our kingdom. Why? Because Gallus boys on top. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What a brand. Their brand, and they're on top. Ah, oh, I need to get back into this NXT UK stuff. That's where it's at. Gallus boys on top. Somebody was asking Gareth this week if he'd, uh, he put these NXT UK compilation things on Grapple, and Gareth was very polite in saying no. Um, although I think he did mean the... Uh, I think it was like a, an unshown gems episode, I think there was. Um, I honestly thought that Gallus episode was a joke. I didn't realise that was a real thing. I've heard, I've had a couple of people mention it to me, but I don't think I quite registered that was a real show. We'll have to watch it, lads, for uh, next proper spotlight, what do you reckon? Oh, Review, oh joke? no. Oh, oh. <laughs> like thirty pound Patreon tier one day, <laughs> mate. You should see the images of them, like st- under a bridge. Like it kind of looks like a shit version of that episode where Stringer Bell knows that his uh, sort of like time is coming to an end in the wire. Do you remember the yeah, reason of that bridge? It's Levy, the lawyer. Yeah, You've got Wolfgang in a Scotland shirt with Gallus written across it. Here. Oh. Looks like a nineteen eighty two World Cup Scotland shirt. Um, and then you've got like the other lads. Joe Coffey's got a Kappa T-shirt on that I might have worn in 1997. Um, yeah, just hanging out under a bridge on what looks like a an estate somewhere, possibly. Um, yeah, fair enough. If that's what they're into, but they're on top, and that you know they're hanging out under bridges still. So good on them. <laughs> and there you go, everyone. There's your NXT uh, takeover in your house review. There you go. <laughs> to some we level. did. We, yeah. <laughs> If I could just, but yeah, just mention the opening match. Oh, go the, on, I'm the fine. Tag match. I will. Do, it, it was fine. I actually thought it was it was 
better than I thought, but again, it just kind of disappeared. People getting their shit in. Shotzi Blackheart seemed to sort of work, but yeah. Like I said before, a lot of screaming at the camera. That was the thing I kept on noticing. Actually, Tegan Knox thought she looked good. She, wouldn't she have a good match at Io Shirai? The silence from YouTube speaks volumes. <laughs> Let's move on. Thank you. Uh, well, Jim Smallman did say <laughs> that at WWE like Mavericks is the best. That was all he said. So, yeah. <laughs> and he is all right, Spud. I oh, think we all very love good. Spud. We all love Spud. Oh, yeah. Uh, Antigua Knox, she's very good. I like Tegan Knox. She is. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> one thing we did all watch this week that I think I think we will have all enjoyed. I don't know. Uh, we've got no dark sides of the ring to talk about uh, anymore, so we decided to do it to ourselves. We were mentioning a few weeks ago about uh, when we were, I think it was during the uh, Roboyer Hawk episode of Dark Side of the Ring and all the steroid stuff there. And basically the Vince McMahon burials you've been doing, Joe, on these uh, Undertaker documentaries. I just thought it was the perfect tie-in. If people haven't seen it, it's an episode of Donahue from 1992. Uh, like an American uh, talk show, if uh, people aren't aware of what it is. Same as, like, what are the other famous ones? Like, not Springer, but like... Uh, oh, Sally, Oprah, Sally, Jesse, Sally, Raphael, Montel Williams. Ricky Lake's the big one. Because Ricky Lake uh, always Montel used Williams. to have... WCW theme music on air one. Like people would come out to like Dean Malenko's theme or Rey Mysterio's theme because it was all <laughs> yeah. stock music. And I used to fucking love it when we all would watch it because we're like, ah, oh, <laughs> it's Malenko's theme. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. It's that kind of show and you've got to watch. It's on YouTube. There's a 45-minute version which was chopped down, I, I presume, for the American broadcast and a slightly longer one as well. Um, and it's, it's right at the height of the... Uh, one, the steroid allegations into WWF, and two, the drug allegations. Uh, sorry, two, the, the child sexual abuse allegations on top of the drug allegations um, that were going on that kind of gets brushed under the carpet and isn't something that hugely gets remembered by history. Mel Brook, Mel Phillips, wasn't it? Mel, Mel Phillips. Phillips. I said Mel Brooks. Yeah. Mel Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> Not Mel Brooks. That's a different thing. <laughs> He's responsible for a lot of Make good that, that came point the perfectly world. clear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Pat Patterson got pulled into it, which I don't think was ever proven, let's be clear. Um, but yeah, what a sight this show is because it's, it's basically Vince McMahon on this talk show having to be all defensive while these allegations are being launched at him. Dave Meltzer's on the show, sat next to Vince McMahon, which is a fucking hilarious sight. Superstar Billy Graham's getting his digs in. Bruno's getting his digs in. This is, like, it's unbelievable this is real. Like, it's treated so badly as well. The tone of the show is, like, the most oh, shocking that thing. crowd. Oh, they're laughing at, like, oh, yeah, these these wrestlers are doing gay abuse. <laughs> isn't that funny? It's awful, I, isn't it? My girlfriend was in the room when I put it on, and she was just like, what the fuck? Mm. Like, we both had, a, both had a very similar reaction. Mm. And it was when Donahue had to basically ask people not to laugh, but he was sort of doing it while laughing. It's like, you can see why, like, historical sexual abuse cases come up oh. years later, because... Yeah. We didn't take them seriously. There was obviously like a, a denial around them. And, the big boys are yeah. playing with each other. That was like one of his lines, wasn't it? It was like, fucking hell, mate. Like, and the, people, are, people so are literally pissing themselves in the crowd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so homo Like, not even oh. just, you know, the legitimate allegations of... It was abuse of um, ring boys, wasn't it? Which was a real story with, with that Mel That was the Phillips. Mel Phillips one, wasn't yeah, it? He was yeah. let go, wasn't and he? And Terry right, Garvin. Yeah. 
I think he was, yeah. Let's not slander anyone, but I'm pretty sure, yeah. 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 But that was, but there was that. But then there was this just general oh, gay sex. There's wrestlers doing gay. Th- it, oh, <laughs> it was unbelievable watching with 2020 eyes. There was a guy who asked, what percentage of wrestlers are gay or something? <laughs> as well. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, why? Oh. What difference does it make? Like, I suppose it was 1992 and it was a different world. But yeah, it was very weird watching this back. And mm. I think my favourite thing from the show was Dave taking on Vince. Yes. Like Dave just like like putting Vince right at a couple of points. It's like, go on, Dave. Like, good work, mate. Like he had not like, he was not scared to prove Vince wrong or to or to like disagree with Vince. And th- that guy was apparently a commentator. It was at the beginning and he was disagreeing. Murray Hodgson. Oh, he's... Who was that guy? I, I never heard of him. Meltzer said man, since he's a con man and he's full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Does a fucking good job though mm. as a con man. What? So what? What has he done? I I'm not too sure on like what his role was. Like he was... I've never heard his commentary. He'd worked in radio or something, and they were yeah. He, he wanted them to come in to be like yeah, you know, your pet and girls of the world, and like do commentary and do like present and stuff. And as you see on the show, Vince just rips them apart. Like, if, if, if it is actually quite funny when he's like, no, the reason you got sat, mate, is you were crap. That's basically what Vince, has said, Vince says to him. That's the one argument he wins during the show, to be honest, and has him off. Uh, but yeah, it has come out in the years since, like, he got done for all kinds of fraud and for making up allegations. And apparently it was, although it, Vince doesn't come across as sympathetic in any way, where on the show he says, you know, you rang me this morning and said, if you pay me $150,000, you won't appear on the show. Apparently that was actually true. Um, that did happen. Uh, not to, like, do down the real allegations that were true, uh, but yeah, he was full of shit. Right. Okay. I did. I had no idea about that stuff. But yeah, just but Vince's whole style when he argues, he oh. he's a twat. Oh, he's awful. He comes across terribly throughout the whole show. Like he's not a real person who lives in a real world. He looks like a kind of, I don't know, like a duck out of water. Here. He's been taken out of his natural environment. Yep. And he doesn't know how to act, so he gets all petty and aggressive. And he clearly hates with disagreeing with him. He clearly hates people countering his points. And you can tell he's used to getting his own way based on how he reacts when Meltzer basically says, no, that's not true. And to me, it was such an insight into the psyche and the mindset of Vince McMahon and what he still employs now in 2020. And how essentially the guy's incapable of change mm. like he's running a company in 2020 in the same way that he was essentially running it in 1992 when it comes to his workers yeah all right all the stuff with probably sponsors and the corporate stuff and being on the stock market is all very different but in terms of his approach to wrestlers and to talent it feels like it's exactly the same as it was then and the world's changed and he hasn't changed with it and as a result, even though people have changed, they have to readapt to get on board with what Vince McMahon liked to employ in 1984. And it's a massive shame, isn't it? Because it's held the entire company back for so many years at this point. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's no, it's no surprise. Like, although the you know the outside world and people's perception of wrestling isn't exactly filled with glory in this show, it's no surprise that people think those types of things about wrestling because it is a sideshow and Vince McMahon is our leader from the public 
uh, perception point of view, isn't he? And he embarrasses himself from t- time after time in shows like this. Like he just comes across like just just the worst piece of shit, doesn't he, JP? Like I and, was this the oh, first yeah. time you saw it as well? Watching it because no. I, I first time I saw it was years ago. I remember when first time I saw this, and I've got to apologise to John Away at some point for this. I I uh, suggested it in the uh, review away thread on the old law boards. And two weeks later, they reviewed it, and they fucking they hated it. They were just depressed by the entire thing, which is understandable to be honest, because it's a really, really sad subject. But that was the first time I saw it. That was like 2013, like when I become aware of it. But I don't think a lot of people are aware this thing exists. I saw this when I bought the Wrestling with Shadows tape, oh. and then got a load of Rob Butcher. <laughs> so this would have been sort of after what sort of 98, I think Wrestling with Shadows come out, so possibly even 99. Could have been probably about 98. And it was that. And it was a low, whole load of wrestling scandal documentaries. There was this one. There's another one that Murray Hodgson's is in as well. I forget the names. There was a lot of them around the kind of time of the steroid trial. Yeah, there was a lot and of kids, this, wasn't there, and things like that. And this was on there because I was aware of Donahue, like, like of, a, of a thing that existed. I think it had been on here at various points, perhaps on as late night filler TV. And yeah, it's... It's awful. The crowd are awful. It kind of culminates with the last question from that woman, which goes, well, why do you like it? It's tacky. And they're all kind of laughing at it. And the and woman it, who says it's fake anyway, so why does this matter? Yeah. It's like, this is nothing to do with the fact it's staged. Like, That's what are it. you saying? They can't take any of the allegations seriously because they don't take wrestling seriously. And you've got this guy at the front who even kind of consolidates that point of not taking it seriously because he fills things with his Vincisms of just going, quite frankly, a certain individual, stuff like that. Not, you know, not talking in a normal human way that us humans tend to do. Um, and it was like, you know, Donahue him, himself is kind of running around the wrestling game. I was, I was fond of hearing that phrase again and again. Um, <laughs> I think Billy Billy Graham has got, like, at that point, he said, yeah, a lot of what he was saying was bullshit. And he's the allegation he's putting in there, which isn't one that he's seen, is the idea of a 13-year-old being abused. Yeah. And they're kind of doing it because they don't like Vince. And yeah. the story goes that Meltzer was sat where he was because he kind of knew that Bruno wanted to go for him. <laughs> so you got this wild atmosphere with it all up there on stage, mm. aren't they? And it's kind of kicking off and it just puts wrestling in the worst possible light and the steroid stuff Vince is like kind of no real defense to it he can do the plausible deniability I also thought it was interesting the whole thing about well they're not actual employees they're independent contractors and I thought yeah 30 years later still the fucking same situation isn't it Mm. and they end up on that like yeah it, it, it just kind of you laugh, like you laugh at certain aspects of it, but it's kind of summed up when I think John Orezzi brings up about the midget wrestlers oh, yeah. being sexually assaulted, and the crowd just start laughing. Yeah, because he uses their wrestling name. He goes like Lord Littlebrook, Lord Littlebrook, Lord yeah. Littlebrook. You're like, oh god, of course <laughs> they don't get this. Yeah. It is funny, isn't it? It's horrible, but it's funny. Like the rampant homophobia is. is horrible. The way they yeah. talk about sexual abuse is horrible. 
But it is funny. <laughs> it's like, like the, I knew Bell, all about Bell's this. Belts are walking straight up a cop show as well. Yeah. Oh my god, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Like, I knew all about this, but I always thought this was about drugs. I had no idea it was about all this nonce stuff. Mm. Um, and it was just just descended into a load of, to quote Chris Morris, nonsense. If anything, at different points, and uh, I was it was worth watching, and it yeah. was really intriguing just to see the Vince psyche. And to see Meltzer sat next to Vince, which was an image, to say the least. Oh, I kind of wish the they did. Just... Oh yeah, I kind of wish they did put Bruno next to Vince, though, because man, I'd love to have seen that kick off. <laughs> I was quite enjoying Bruno. He's, he always seems like an absolutely great guy, and is, I always yeah. think he comes across well. He comes across honestly, and he's a man who's got who had serious integrity. Yeah, and who to a and, fault. Yeah, and he had a moral compass. And I think the fact that he had that moral compass put him in Vince's bad books, basically, and meant that he was kind of blackballed from the industry and the mainstream industry for so many years because essentially he felt a certain way and Vince didn't like the fact that someone had, I don't know, genuine feeling and thought around what he'd done. And, you know, that's a massive fucking shame. And, you know, I'd have loved to have seen this end with Bruno taking Vince down and getting him in some sort of hold and maybe whipping some steroids out of Vince's pocket and showing that he was at the fucking steroids as well with Hogan. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, wasn't that wasn't that uh, like a story? I'm sure that we were gonna have like plants in the crowd, and there was gonna be like oh yeah, wasn't that like the, the... He, he wanted twelve plants in the crowd? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Like everything's What's wrestling, this? isn't it? There was yeah, there was all this at the Donahue uh, show. Mm. At the Donahue show. Is it, oh did it come yeah, from Dave. Yeah. He had like a whole list of demands that he wanted. He'd have a two-minute piece at the beginning where he just gives his point of the point of view, mm. and it's like, of course he does. Mm. And that, and do you know what? The reaction to this probably end up helped him further retreat into the fantasy world that he's never left. Mm. Yeah, he's like he's like Ken Watanabe at the end of Inception, stuck <laughs> in some weird hotel inside his own mind at this stage, isn't he? <laughs> I enjoyed the uh, the smart mark in the audience. He was clearly an observer reader, like the, the young kid who like tries. To, he, to be fair, he tries to defend Vince, doesn't he? He's like, "Oh, you're just all bitter wrestlers," and he lists off all these things the wrestlers have done. And a bit, are these a bully, Billy Graham, or is it? Um, is it? I think it is Graham. Just Bruno. But it's Bruno, isn't it? Just tell him, just sit down, kid. You don't know what you're talking about. It was like you are clearly one of the early smart marks here, who's uh, who's made the trip for this show to uh, to get to see your hero Dave Meltzer in real life. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's it's worth watching. There's a couple of yeah. like, like you said, there's, there is actually a Geraldo because I think that's what John Away reviewed when they did this as well that's right. from this period as well. But yeah, wrestling in like the mainstreams always, always interest in how they handle it and yeah and i don't i don't think anyone on the show comes off well i thought barrio comes across like quite uh yeah sympathetic like and, and genuine as someone who's like clearly hasn't got an axe to grind clearly he's got nothing to gain and nothing to lose because who the fuck like had you ever heard of barry orton before you watched this thing i hadn't i had no idea who he was um like he, Randy Orton's uncle, right? I knew that. Yeah, I, he was a family member that I wasn't aware of, to be honest. Um, mm. But yeah, he comes across well, but everyone else on the show's running their own angle, essentially. It's wrestling, but on a talk mm. show. That's what it is. Um, 
Uh, one other thing I was going to say, we we all watched. The, oh, I don't know. Oh no, you didn't watch it this week, Joe. But obviously, you've you've uh, you've seen it before. Um, it was a bit of an anniversary today, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it, JP? Twenty five years ago to the fucking day. We're getting old, mate. Um, I don't know if you yeah. remember. <laughs> Is that when it happens? Uh, Kira, Kira Tao uh, Kawa- and Kawada against Kabashi and Masawa. Um, you can rate it on Grapple. Uh, one of the highest rated matches on Grapple as well. Um, I'll tell you this, JP, today, I don't often do it. I went on Grapple and I put a five stars in. Um, this being the is it the final of the Power Series, isn't it, from 1995? Um, yeah, superpower series. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, it was one of those matches that I watched it because basically on James's urging because he he mentioned it today, and I think I think it came up, didn't it, when you did match of the month when you were talking about the um, AW tag potentially being the best wrestler. That's tag right. Tag of all time. This is always the one that's gonna be like the contender. Like I I've, I rem- I haven't seen this match in probably about twenty years, if I'm honest. Like I remember um, early days of the internet. When I don't know if you use Kazar, uh, I don't know if you go put that far back, JP. But oh I used to, yeah, I, I was my, more of a man. That that was my download uh, tool of choice, and it would literally take me on dial-up, like at least a whole day, sometimes multiple days, to download one match. And I had this little folder of Japanese matches, and it was the most random folder ever. Like, it had this, it had uh, a Masao Kawada match, it had a loaded Dynamite Kid in Japan. It was so fucking strange. And I'd, because it, again, talking about like when we were saying earlier about like only having so many albums when you were a kid, I could only download so much wrestling. So I'd watch this thing like quite a few times over. But watching it now with adult eyes, I appreciated it so much more um like i'm gonna i'm 100 gonna be following along wh park with his uh all japan in the 90s series that he's doing on post now like absolutely check that thing out he's just dropped uh dropped episode one um i'm gonna be following along because i need educating to be honest i've seen odd matches you know downloaded them in kazar or downloaded them on torrent or watched it when i did a little bit of a project like three years ago now where i watched some of the singles matches but I this this period I haven't really seen in context, and that's what I want to do next. And I'm I'm definitely going to do it, but with or without context. My God, this is a match, and my God, this is a five star match. This is just you know the best selling I've ever probably ever seen in wrestling from Kabashi. The most dick, yep. the best dickheadery I've, I've probably seen in wrestling from Kawada. Masawa is every bit the ace, the the fucking hero trying to like shield his ta- trying try, trying to like protect Kabashi. Kabashi kind of lies on him at one point, doesn't need to stop him him getting beaten up but trying to like be the hero for the match and and be fight on his own and yeah you know Tao as well as like the the big guy is very good in his role too he kind of gets forgotten as the format fourth man uh from the fourth pillars too from the four pillars too what a match every every moment in the match means something a match as good in 2020 for me as it was in 1995 or as in 2001 when i watched it uh on my kazar download do you know what it could be very tempting if you click open a link to like a classic match that you haven't seen for a really long time and you're looking at perhaps with jaded cynical eyes 20 years later and i clicked on this and you see it and you think 52 minutes this is going to be a tough watch fucking breeze yeah it is it's fucking breeze watch this today absolute breeze i was getting annoyed because at one point i'd actually started watching it bizarrely on my phone and then I thought, well, I'm making notes while I'm doing this, and I want to just enjoy this match. So I ended up um, putting it on, putting it on the TV, um, and it's just incredible because it's kind of laid out in a way that you don't see a lot of tag matches. 
And I think it's just that one simple bit of psychology involving Kenta Kabashi's leg. And the idea Mm. that they're going, right, we're not actually going to let him tag in as well so we can beat down Misawa. And it's just like, it's it's dickheadery, don't get me wrong. And they do get the booze, but it's a completely plausible, logical strategy. And everyone is kind of at their peak, really, Mm. at this point, I wonder. Like, Misawa looks jacked for this for him Kenta Kabashi like and we said about like said about this, this previously just in terms of his selling this is one of the most incredible displays of selling that you that, that you just see in front of this molten crowd I think even Barber on commentary gets excited a couple of times during this as well and that you sort of hear that deep growl voice kind of come through don't you mm. sort of really Really low sort of tempo on this. Is it the leg work? If I'm, I'm thinking rightly, yeah. I've seen a good few. I, I think I watched. I watched the match two months ago. No, three. Well, how many months ago was it? After it was just after the AW tag match, and it's uh, the '93 version of this. I love as well. But what I love about this one is. Uh, if I remember rightly, Kabashi's leg. Yes, yeah. and, and they're mean like... about it as well. They're really yeah. mean about it. Yeah, they're yeah. proper vicious. Yeah, and some of the Kawada Misawa stuff in this one, I remember being absolutely fucking amazing oh, as yeah. well. Mm. Like proper like hate-filled, I'm going to fuck you up sort of stuff. Yes. Oh, it absolutely plays into it brilliantly. I think it kind of, the match kind of, initially, it's where it kicks off, I think Kabashi's going to whip Kawada into the ropes and he just runs across and kicks Misawa off the apron. And the crowd kind of just sort of liven up from that point. And there's just various points where it just gets so fucking heated and nasty. And in the last 10 minutes, they're all fucked. So, like, the pins are getting desperate. And you talk about organic wrestling and a kind of, like, fluidity in wrestling. There's no down points in this because everything has that kind of logic for it. And also, they're not playing for kind of obvious hot tags. If people have the opportunity to tag, they tag which is what you would do. So it feels entirely different to even like, you know, don't get me wrong, you'll have heard it on that match of the month, absolutely adore that match between the Bucks and and Kenny and um, and Hangman Page. Yeah. This feels like, i tell you what this feels like, and I don't want to sound bad about it, but there's no fluff in this. No. It is no fucking, it's, it is brutal. It's a fight. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real. A proper, proper fight. With just exchanges that, in terms of moves, they're not spectacular, but it's the timing of where they're doing it as well. So there's just points where, like, Kawada breaks up a pin and he just kicks Masao in the face. Yeah. And it's and at that point, like, and then there's there's just stages where they're just kind of going in and out, and then the other tag partner will come in. And the whole thing just structurally is brilliant because it's kind of the real ebb and flow of a match. And you don't see matches being structured like this. Now, obviously, they don't have a kind of 52-minute canvas on which to play all of this out. That's true. And you've got to be as good as these lads. Yeah, you've got to be as good as these lads. Like four of the best in the world. (laughs) Four of the best in the world. Definitely three. At At that point, though. But at that point, it's the fact that Tawei's job is kind of connecting a lot of the stuff together. Oh, and he does that. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I think even I think uh, Kamada and Tawe are one of the it? greatest tag teams ever. Like oh, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. That backdrop choke slam like combo is one yeah. of the best, one of my favourite moves in the history. I've not forgotten they did that. Like it's been it's that long since I've seen this. It's just his look, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, the it, but then his look works for him because he's the bigger guy yeah. of, the, of the four. Like to your point, JP. Like what I was going to say about the match, I'd not to again compare it directly to the AW tag. 
But the difference here is all four people in the match. Or the difference between this and modern wrestling, not suppose not specifically that match, but the four people in this match are just being the four people in this match. They're all yeah. doing the things organically you would expect Kawada to be the dickhead who's coming in and fucking killing people with kicks and being a vicious bastard in the match. You're expecting Tao to come in and be the big bully and pick his moments and hit his joke slam and be what he is. Masawa's being the fucking not blue-eyed babyface, green-eyed babyface who's like just fighting for everything because his partner's injured, putting on like an Oscar-worthy selling performance. And it feels like a real fight where all those all those elements come together. And then you get a five-star match. And I think the difference... I'm not saying it's a n- necessarily a negative, but the difference about wrestling is now is wrestlers are aware of what a five-star match is. And it's almost like the aim is to have a five-star match now, whereas the aim here wasn't to have a five-star match. The aim was to tell the story that those characters in that situation were supposed to tell. And it's, you know, obviously they go further than many other matches within that time so there's an element of trying to have a great memorable match but it never everything in it is of functional there's no like you said there's yeah. no fat everything in it mm. is organic and natural to the point and where we've kind of got to wrestling now and i love wrestling now and i love that we can talk in a week about 10 four star plus matches is that the guys are kind of knowingly going for that rather than it being you know uh i don't know uh not the main part or the main goal of why they're out there. Does that make any sense? I think that's the best explanation I've ever heard of a great match in the 90s and a great match now and the differences and why there are those fundamental differences because there's that awareness Mm -hmm. and there's that kind of history of those great matches being great matches. And yeah, you look at a lot of the guys who tried to sort of copy this style on the American Indies in the early 2000s as well. And there were loads of them and they never got to this level because they weren't as good and they were trying to get there. Whereas with these guys, I don't want to say it was effortless because they're working their fucking asses off, Mm. but it's almost like they created that standard Mm. and they lifted everyone else's game and they were doing like what worked for the storyline that was going on in the company and that was going on with the career development of each guy. So you've got almost like four individual narratives going on within two tag teams here as well at the same time. And I think that's what makes it function because they're tag teams and they come together and tag team wrestling is valued in all Japan at this point in time. And it's made out to be something big and something major. And these are the company's kind of four biggest stars at this point in time. And they do what they have to do to advance the story, advance the characters in there and the individual feuds between the wrestlers in there as well. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. And you know what? Just talking about it now, even though I watched it a few months ago, I think I might go and watch it again tomorrow, to be honest with you. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to it. Yeah. Would you would you call it a five star match, Joe? I know you've mentioned before. Did you oh. prefer the ninety three match? Yeah, I I think I do. Just like I and I'm talking, it's like nothing between them. They're both clear cut five star matches. But the, I think it's this. Is it December ninety three? I want to say I absolutely love that match. To me, that's kind of the 
the rise of Kabashi and Kabashi is so, so good in that match. And he is here as well. You know, mm. there's nothing between them really, but I think it's just a little personal preference. I think I just prefer that match, but yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with anyone who says this is a better match because there's not a lot between, there's nothing between them. Ultimately, they're just, they're classics. They're stone cold classics. And, I haven't listened to WH's uh, first All Japan show yet, mm. but I'm really looking forward to that series and I'm trying my hardest to watch it on with some of the matches. I saw that he posted um, yep. a few matches as well. The kind of, I've seen most of the matches before, but I did want to go back and give them a watch as well. Uh, it's a shame we're doing that ECW show this week because I want to go back and watch All Japan now, but I'm sure I'll have fun watching this ECW stuff anyway. <laughs> if I could also recommend as a kind of companion piece alongside these, I know there's a video series and it's Joseph Monchillo. Is that his, his name? Yep, the first he does guest the on videos. Uh, to uh, on, uh, He's the first guest with WH. And one of the things he's been doing is videos kind of telling the story as well and using highlights from oh, the wow. matches. And it's basically starting from like kind of 80s all Japan and Jumbo. Oh, and that's, a, that's an awesome idea. And and the two going side by side, walking the King's Road. And one of the kind of themes that we've said, and it starts from the beginning, is about no, learning history and ourselves trying to learn ourselves. Well, from a wrestling perspective, this feels like the kind of essential wrestling history. And do you know what? If anything, it's provided a kind of impetus for me to want to go back and do it, but also Same. in a kind of order so I know how to approach it. Same. Because that's always been the biggest problem is you're kind of picking matches out like, out of out out of order in a sense you want to see those big touch you know it's like seeing that six man that i went uh talking about a while ago between new generation army and saruta gun um hmm. uh, that's great it's like 50 minutes long and then that leads to kind of jumbo misawa and the rest of it and he kind of goes uh, goes down that road but it's wanting to follow that storyline and that's yeah, never been the easiest thing own, going back it's think... daunting but it feels like a guide is out there now for how hmm. to kind of approach it I think Masawa Saruta was 30 years ago yesterday as well, wasn't it? Which, you know, Jeez. were these matches on the same day? Or was it a day difference? But Meltzer and Alvarez uh, were talking about that and Dave being there live. It, it was a great little uh, aside on that. It felt like they were just putting talking about Raw off. So they were talking about <laughs> one of the greatest matches of all time. And I was like, ah, don't blame him here. But what yeah, it's WH doing these in chronological order do you know um, because so. i know with the liger series it was mm. like sort of here and there wasn't it but yeah. if if this is chronological that's that's awesome yeah. like, i really look forward to listening to these YouTube. i think there's a playlist on youtube as well joe so i'll make sure to share that with you oh, I'll, have yeah. to, I'll have to share that and these videos sound like really but good brilliant. fun so yeah i think good brilliant. work on wh and this other fella who's making Joseph. these videos part because Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Joe. If I could also mention, he did a video, which I know I shared with you, but I think it's really important to watch at the moment, which is about everything is political and about how wrestling is political. And he actually looks at David Starr, whilst also looking at the fact he's from the Philippines and about these draconian kind of laws that have come into place that are kind of restricting people's movements, but also at the same time monitoring them and tracking being used to kind of you know, in terms of quashing dissent in that way as well. So it's kind of a really important, timely piece uh, mm. uh, to kind of listen to. So do that and a bit of All Japan as well on the He slide. sounds like my sort of bloke, this fella. Wrestling politics, you know, preaching of the choir here, isn't he? 
might uh, <laughs> head a rumor you might hear him uh, floating around uh, the grapple network at some point as well but uh, uh, okay that's interesting interesting uh, yeah. i'll tell you what if with our 90s flashback series if we do an all japan episode at some point we should maybe try and draft uh wh in if he fancies oh, it love kind of oh, fit together public with, open invitation yes, yeah fit together nicely with what he's doing over at post as well you know a bit a bit more cross-pollination between the two networks possibly a bit of synergy working okay. together he's one of us yeah <laughs> i'm not taking that he's one of us though isn't he jp's in our uh brit res chat oh, yeah. he, i think he sits there like he, he's basically took your place joe in our little twitter dm chat where like us and martin and will will be talking about like the latest brit res scandal and wh is just sat there like i've got no idea what he's going on about but this is fucking hilarious uh top man we're absolutely love wh over here and yeah, yeah. Uh, if you do it's the long and winding road is the other podcast series that he's just that. just started origin of the triple crown and yeah he's just gone through uh it's a great of, title as well yeah and it's episode zero that's up which is like the the prequel uh the prelude looking at the creation of the triple crown in the first place so to- wholehearted endorsement uh he's a great man so uh, do listen mm. to that and yeah uh, joseph Montello's stuff as well definitely uh, check that out on youtube too um anything more from us that's anything else you want to chat um kind of cool there's there, stuff i'm gonna save there's stuff i'm gonna save for next week I've started watching a bit of Shotgun, but I want to see a couple more episodes before I kind of uh, kind of give a fuller idea on it. And uh, <laughs> mentioning All Japan, an All Japan Dojo documentary that I went on to you two about. But I'm also going to wait a few weeks before going into it, and maybe you guys might have seen it by then as well. You're looking forward to JP doing a series on Shotgun Saturday night, uh, Joe? Uh, the, MLW, <laughs> the, the MLW series I'm looking to do. I haven't seen that in a while. They're doing anthologies, Joe, you'll be pleased. Loki and Satoshi Kojima. <laughs> Shotgun Saturday night, did you say, Ben? I think JP's confused, uh, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. No, Shotgun Saturday night. No. A bit sad baseball for you, though. Right, if there's nothing else, uh, I suppose we should get into plugs. JP, you've got a big plug for us uh, this week. Uh, you were uh, on this very, what is now uh, an audio network uh, here on Grapple. Yeah, it you, is. Uh, you did another yeah, show last I'm week. Not, I won't lie, I'm not quite sure what an audio network is at times, but I'll go along with that. Nah, just Grapple. Um, it is. Um, yeah, I did Match of the Month with Jamesy for February. Uh, so it was like the last match. Protect your neck. Uh, it was, yeah, protect your neck indeed. <laughs> um, I hope you guys liked it. I really enjoyed it. I agree it was, it's it's really good fun because one of the things you forget, and it's been kind of to say that things have been very kind of dark and bleak around the world for yes. a period of time, and even more amplified over the last week. It was really nice to be able to go away and watch some really good wrestling mm. because all of the matches you're covering are all good. There's none of them that are bad or are sort of like and on that month as well there was some great new japan so when you're talking about new japan earlier i was like thinking i've just watched a little bit of new japan that was a nice little kind of prep watching a couple of great will osprey zach matches yeah stadium stampede jamesy will pick um uh, you know he likes picking these kind of little hidden gems out that are out there as well so yeah if you haven't listened to it already have a listen um yeah really good fun looking forward to the uh, the next episode he's going to be doing uh for March as well, so yeah, yep, that's it. And you got that to look forward to, James. He's going to be catching up with uh, with March and then the uh, the lockdown period. And yeah, before you know it, he'll be on time as uh, as wrestling does seem to be coming back now, or at least uh, from the from New Japan's end. So yeah, uh, check that out on this feed. 
Um, and yeah, other than that, you know, follow all the normal stuff. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me at Benson Richard E. Follow JP at JPGP, and follow the Grapple app at Grapple app. If you agree with us on that uh, five star tag match from twenty five years ago this day, you can actually log into Grapple and uh, and rate that on there. Um, we do go as far back as yeah the, the Superpower series from nineteen ninety five. Who can so. disagree with that? Yeah. Honestly, I think the if, average if is like, like someone saying Goodfellas isn't a five star film. <laughs> Who would say would... such a thing, Joe? Unbelievable. I know. I will, I will say I was looking at Joe's brother's profile on Grapple today, and I've seen he's been watching a bit of All Japan as well. Has he? Uh, he has. Um, okay. Oh, what was it? He was. He, was he, he'd been watching. I think he'd been, he'd been watching a. Um, oh, bloody Grapple's not working now. That feels like a terrible thing to say for that. Uh, <laughs> Good plug, Joe. Where is it? Great plug. Just looking on it. Uh, so here it up, he is. He watched. Uh, Kuniaki Kobayashi versus Tiger Mask from Exciting Wars 1985, day oh. 14. He gave that, f- uh, yeah, he gave it 3.75. <laughs> two- the content that people come here for, mate, here uh, this. Mate, we're two and a half hours in. Yeah. <laughs> but this, he watched what looked like a cracking note. I was going to say Kenta Kabashi and Misawa versus Johnny Ace and Steve Williams match from 95 as well. Which I oh, think I've seen the, that. That's great. The semi-finals. Yeah, I, had, I know the one. Yeah, yeah. Of this of this tournament on air. And then he watched Tenru and Jumbo versus the Road Warriors, which he gave two and a half to. It seems to follow in the Road Warriors are shit, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. They are. Runs in the family. Yeah. Uh, we our opinions seem to be, very much be uh yeah, quite consistent with one another's, put it that way. A couple of well brought up lads, that's all there is, Joe. Uh, but yeah, follow well, Sam on Twitter. Oh, no, it's their dad Twitter. who started them, is Sam on Twitter? At Sam Lemon, maybe? I can't remember. Ah, uh, he doesn't use it. Follow on Grapple. <laughs> follow us all on Grapple. Uh, He'll hate that. <laughs> oh, he will. Uh, anyway, yeah, follow us all on Twitter, including Sam. Follow us all on Grapple. And yeah, uh, thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll be uh, back again with another show next week. We'll see you then. Bye. See ya. Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and our friends at Chevrolet are proud to present Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America. And we're inviting you to help. Join me, Carlos Watson, as I talk with key leaders from across the country about racial disparities in America's healthcare system. Look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk, Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or download The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts.